106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Charlie will tell you about how the free world will conquer communism with the aid of God and a few Marines. God has a hard-on for Marines because we kill everything we see. He plays his games, we play ours. To show our appreciation, for so much power, we keep heaven packed with fresh souls. God was here before the Marine Corps. So you can give your heart to Jesus, but your ass belongs to the Corps. Do you ladies understand? Sir, yes, sir! I can't hear you! Sir, yes, sir! You all know why I'm here. I'm not an orator. And I would not try to convince you of the worthiness of our cause. I'm a soldier. And we are at war. From Philadelphia, we expect a declaration of independence. Eight of the 13 colonies have levied money in support of a continental army. I ask that South Carolina be the ninth Massachusetts and Virginia may be at war, but South Carolina is not. Here, here. This is not a war for the independence of one or two colonies, but for the independence of one nation. And, uh, yes, what nation is that? An American nation. There is no such nation, and to speak of one is treason. We are citizens of an American nation, and our rights are being threatened by a tyrant 3,000 miles away. Would you tell me, please, Mr. Howard, why should I trade one tyrant 3,000 miles away for 3,000 tyrants one mile away? <laughs> An elected legislature can trample a man's rights as easily as a king can. Okay, well, Happy New Year to you. We're working here tonight on uh, episode 92, and this will play out on uh, January 2nd, 2021. <coughs> I'm actually doing this on uh, New Year's Eve uh, in the uh, late evening. So you may hear some noise because people are fired up running around town trying to go to a party or something, something, and uh, the dogs are still awake next door. 
So you may hear some of the crowd noise around the neighborhood, but uh, I think you'll be able to hear me over all that. And I'll just so then you won't get disturbed of something going on here that shouldn't be going on. Uh, thank you for listening. We're uh, I, this is our uh, I, I don't know what I mentioned this just for the sake of keeping track. 92nd episode. So if, if you're new to us, I'm not sure how you got to us, whether you've just found us on uh, your podcast source. So that would have been No Hostages Radio. Or somebody may have, uh, maybe you went from uh, one of the articles I've written to NoHostagesRadio.com, which either place, you're totally cool. But NoHostagesRadio.com is our website where we have some articles that normally appear in the Territorial Dispatch in the Northern California area. We're up here in Yuba County, sitting here tonight. That's uh, north of Sacramento, if you're out in another state somewhere. And uh, we're hoping someday to have a different state up here, separate not from the Union, but from the uh, state of California. Some There's a couple uh, groups that have been trying to do that. One is called New California. One was called the State of Jefferson. It's kind of petered out, but... Uh, the idea is still solid, but and there's a lot of there's a lot of folks actually that want a new state up here, and it isn't because we hate the rest of the people in the southern part of the state. We just uh, don't uh, we we're different. We're just different kind of folks, and we have different needs up here. L.A. has big time different needs than we do. We have different needs than they do. We just think that the legislature doesn't uh, deal appropriately with both our needs. So. Uh, the lead, the government of California kind of forgets Northern California. Uh, and I, I don't want to spend any more time in that because I have other topics to talk about, but uh, I just wanted to let you know where we were. If you want to reach out to me, you, it's very easy. You just uh, you can email me at lou, L-O-U, at nohostagesradio.com. Again, L-O-U, lou, at nohostagesradio.com. You can dial me up at 530-713-1838, If you get voicemail, that just means I'm on the other line. Uh, I do answer calls 24 hours a day because I run a program called Trauma Intervention Program where we respond to the 911 system. So I don't screen calls. I call people back uh, right away because uh, a lot of times it's one of our clients needing some help so you can hook hook up with me there uh appreciate your feedback and thank you all for uh there's some of you that provide me information that is really helpful to me or just uh, comments or something's going on in your life all that's great uh well this is the first show, obviously, of the uh, the new year, and uh, I know going into 2020, I, I don't know why I was so jacked up about 2020, but I don't know whether it was a number, 2020, or just it was so unique, the number, and it just seemed like the uh, the break in the, the, the eras or the decades, and uh, it turned out to be uh, kind of spectacularly bizarre. So uh, I'm thinking that 2021 is also going to be uh, not normal. I don't know what it's going to be. I'm not psychic and I'm not a prophet, but I I think there's some uh, extraordinary things that are going to be happening. But 
I'm not going to talk about what I think is going to happen. I'm just going to be talking about right now what's happening tonight. I, I feel confident in talking about that. So before I get too far, I want to talk to you about a uh, conference uh, right at the front. If you don't get all the way through the show, I want to talk to you about a conference that's coming up in two weeks that I think can really help you. Um, <clears throat> and uh, it's going to be an in-person live conference in uh, Yuba City, California, or, or they call it Live Oak, California. But uh, I'm just going to tell you about it, and then we can dial in the location in Northern California here. So this is going to be, the conference is called Free and the Brave Conference, Free and the Brave Conference, and the subtitle is Empowering Patriots to Defend Their Freedoms. So this is not going to be a live stream or Zoom conference. You can attend this conference. Uh, So the details of of how to uh, tap into the conference uh, we'll provide a little bit later. Like on the last conference we did, the Constitutional Law Conference, you could actually tap in and watch it, watch it uh, live streamed. So my hunch is we'll be able to live stream it as well as we're going to record it and put it on the Church of Glad Tidings website. This is an equipping conference for people, not church people, not non-church people, just people. Everybody can benefit from this conference. There is no charge for the basic conference. And then there's a sub-conference at the very end of it to, that's going to extend it that I would strongly encourage you to, to dip into that. There's a cost to it, and I'm going to tell you about it right now. But the conference starts on uh, January 15th, Friday night, and it starts at 6.30 at night, runs to 9. And then on Saturday, January 16th, it starts at 8.30 in the morning and runs to 8.45 at night. Now, that day, there's going to be a break for lunch. I think it's 90 minutes. There's going to be a break for dinner. Both the lunch and dinner are going to be catered by a really great restaurant called Fernando's. It costs a little money. You can pay for that, or you can go downtown and grab something to eat, or you can just fast. Uh, But we just made it convenient for you to stay there and talk to people that you meet there. There'll be people from all over Northern California, so the breaks are nice times to... uh, to meet new people, exchange numbers, etc. So things like coffee, drinks, and all that kind of stuff, we'll have a lot of that there. So all the refreshments, there's plenty of bathrooms, it's a big uh, facility, so easy, 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 easy to get to. Okay, so so the next, uh, besides the the, uh, times... Uh, Sunday, uh, let's see, 8.30, 8.45 Saturday, Sunday the 17th, it's 10 to 1.30 p.m. That's going to be the end of the basic conference. And then um, after that, as that ends, uh, then there's going to be a, a conference by Peggy Hall. Peggy Hall is going to be in our conference, but then we're, since she's flying up from Orange County, Peggy Hall, who has the healthyamerican.org, healthyamerican.org. You can look her up. She's got amazing videos online and she does, she's going to do a conference called open for business. Uh, It's an in-person. She's going to be here. You're going to see her live. She's very vivacious, charismatic, uh, very smart. She, I believe she was a professor at one time in her life. But she's fired up. She's very intelligent. She's done a lot of research on what the laws are. And the whole idea is to equip businesses. And when you go on her uh, website, you go on the Church of Glad Tidings website, and you go down to her website, 
uh, or if you just go to her website, you're going to see this event. When you click on it, you can sign up right there. So this is uh, a 1.30 to 5 o'clock at night Sunday uh, seminar. She is going to equip you on every right you have to never close again, no matter what kind of business you are, uh, as well as uh, all the laws that pertain to that, the laws on masks, the laws on social distancing, all that, all that information. So uh, that's going to cost at the end. Now, the first part of the conference, the Friday night, Saturday, all day Saturday and Saturday morning into the early afternoon is free. Uh, there, I think we're going to offer some sponsorships or businesses can get some publicity by helping us put this on. But then Peggy Hall is $125. Now, if you're a business, and I've run businesses, I've managed businesses, I've owned businesses, and I've done all kinds of things and, and been in management of nonprofits, $125 is the best deal you're ever going to get for a, a seminar that's going to go on for, uh, for uh, three and a half hours. This is a great deal, and it's an equipping seminar. It's just not – it's going to talk to about how to increase your business in this difficult time and how to just – how to navigate all the foolishness that's going on with our government, okay? So uh, this is going to be at 1179 Eager Road or Eager at 99. Uh, sometimes they call it Yuba City or Live Oak. It's just north of – it's between Yuba City and Live Oak. So you can go online um, – and check it out at churchofgladtidings.com. We'll keep updating. We're adding speakers. But let me just give you an idea of some of the speakers. I, these are just a handful of speakers. Judy Mikovits, who used to work with, side-by-side side with Anthony, Anthony Fauci, and just wrote a book. It came out a few months ago called The Plague of Corruption that outs Fauci as a criminal. And uh, she does not have kind things to say about Fauci and says he is dishonest as the day is long. Uh, Judy Mikovits uh, will be there in person. JC and Chris Ann Hall, who run uh, the, they have a, a training system, Liberty University on the Constitution, an online training academy. Chris Ann Hall is a constitutional attorney. She's teaching about three or four days a week throughout the United States. She's been out at our at this uh, venue at the church a number of times. Uh, Lee Dundas is listed to be there. She's a human rights attorney from down in the Orange County area. As I mentioned, Peggy Hall, uh, a lady named Linko Coloma, the best. She just wrote a book or she wrote a book called Unleash the Supernatural, but she's been all over the news battling with the government over supposed health issues regarding COVID. Uh, her name is Linka, L-E-N-K-A, Linka Coloma, K-O-L-O-M-A. You can Google her. She's all over the internet, positive and negative, but she's a fired up speaker. Uh, we've invited assemblymen in, in our area and near our area, Kevin Kiley, who has kind of led the way against lawsuits against Gavin Newsom. He just has a book just published. Uh, whether he's there or not, we're going to try to get a couple boxes of his books calling Newsom a criminal. And and also James Gallagher may be there. We'll, we're invited him, but if they come, uh, the 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 seminar will be plenty powerful with or without them. Uh, but we also have these are people that are physically going to be there. We're also bringing in a constitutional sheriff or two, probably by uh, Zoom or live stream. Uh, 
we're going to try to have Mark Lamb, who is the sheriff of one of the bigger geographic counties in the nation, Penal County, P-I-N-A-L County in Arizona. That's where thousands and thousands of uh, illegals come through that area to get into the United States, as well as the cartel. He's a he's a, a constitutional sheriff. And um, we may have uh, also Sheriff Mack. We'll have a, we're getting a couple of cases of Sh- Sheriff Mack's books. <coughs> Sorry, I got something up my nose. Sheriff Mack's books called The Constitutional Sheriff. And uh, he'll be we'll have those. So we're going to have a lot. This is a uh, equipping seminar. This is not a seminar where you where we're just going to talk a lot to you and you walk away. Think, oh, that was unbelievable. That was great. And then a week later, uh, it's just a thing in the past. We really want to equip people to be activists and equip activists to be more effective. That's the whole idea. We really we're we're actually wanting to accomplish something by the seminar other than just unloading um, information. So some of the topics includes includes, uh, exposing the lies of a bully government and media. Uh, Number two, COVID-19 and the vaccines. So uh, Judy Mikovits is a a specialist on vaccines. Uh, Exposing medical fraud, uh, which is what's going on with the government, lying to people and suppressing the truth about medicines that can help with things like COVID. Another, how can we fight back to protect our liberties? Our liberties are being uh, just ignored. Uh, the, the Constitution's being ignored. Laws that you didn't even make, that the government made, they're ignoring their own laws. Uh, what you need to know about the Constitution and your freedom. We have, we're going to have people there that are fighting the government right now from Nevada County that have organized a coalition suing the governor on down to the local supervisors, as well as the health officer in Nevada County. Uh, it's called the restaurant coalition. We're also ha- going to have an owner of, uh, he's got a series of four shops, barber shops. Randy Mitchell, I think is going to be there to just share some. They just uh, had their first court case with Newsom. They're being sued by the, the state government for not shutting down because of COVID. And they're still not shutting down, even though their ruling was against them. They're just staying open without licenses. And uh, they are going to file an action against the governor to uh, try to absolve the licensing system of cosmetology in California. That's significant because there's 700,000 cosmetologists slash barbers in the state of California. Also, we're going to be talking about parental rights, fake news, and small businesses, and more. Small businesses are the the major, you'd think, oh, Amazon's a major employer in the United States, or Walmart's a major employer. <clears throat> they may be the bigger employer by name. Like one time I heard that Walmart uh, nationally or internationally was a bigger the, uh, employer than the military. But what I'm talking about in the category of businesses, small businesses employ more people in the United States than than the mega businesses. The interesting thing on why the the agenda of the globalists, they want to shut down small businesses as they're they're very hard to control. They're very independent. They're very freedom loving. They want to make their own hours. They don't want to follow a lot of rules. They don't like all these government regulations. With the big businesses, they can't afford uh, to uh, 
get too sideways with government. So they pay government off. They can afford to pay government off. And then they kind of agree on the regulation. So essentially, they're kind of a quasi or a para-state business. That's why they all got to stay open. And um, and these small businesses were were called non-essential or dangerous. You're going to get sick in a barbershop, but you're not going to get sick in Walmart. Um so I'll give you an example of that. I was just talking to my bank, and I was determining whether or not to change banks. And I, I'm with Umqua Bank, it's, and they, they told me this week they're in five states. So they've been closed. Uh, you had to make an appointment to get inside. You can drive through and, and try to get money out of there if you want to wait in line. Uh, so I, call, I was talking to them because they just shut down and just closed all their doors. You couldn't get anything out of them uh, right before Christmas. So we, we had a discussion, and they said, Lou, the rules are for our bank is we can only have two customers inside the building at one time. But if I walk right across the parking lot to Chase Bank, uh, anybody, people just walk right in there. No, no appointments, you just walk in. And uh, so uh, and, and so. I got to. T- I was talking to the bank manager at Umqua Bank, and she was talking about how they're trying to make a, you know all the 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 uh, the legal line they give you. She's nice, I, but she just gave me the spiel because she's a representative of a big corporation. Well, we're just trying to be cautious and safe for our employees and safe for our customers and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, but it's interesting if she and I were to go for a flight together, we could go down and get on Southwest airline, 45 minutes South of town, and we could climb in a plane after we stood social distance apart, walking to the plane. Uh, then we have to, then we get on the plane and we sit where our elbows actually touch one another. Now, does that make sense to you? Where do you think you're going to get sick? If you're going to get sick by a virus, uh, so this is it. All this is is very arbitrary. It's a fraud. Uh, you know, everybody. I just. I. I wish I had a dollar for every time somebody said, "Well, my my son had, or my my grandma had COVID, or or my dad had COVID, or as if it's a big deal." And I thought, hey, you know, people are living and dying, being born, dying every day of the week around here of all kinds of things. And nobody's like shedding any tears over it or getting all panicked or talking about it at a dinner party. Oh, my my uh, my grandfather died in pneumonia. Don't you care? How come how come you're not wearing a mask? You could have killed him. And, you know, they the, the government has is very sharp at being deviant and being liars and being fraudulent. And so that's what we have going on in America today. And so uh, these are some of the deals you can you can we, we want you to register for this event. It'll help us pre, uh, prepare uh, materials for the event. And so you the, the phone number at Glad Tidings is 530-671-3160, 530-671-3160. There's people in the office Tuesday through Friday, normal work hours. Or you can go to Church of Glad Tidings, just the name all in one word, dot com. And, and then click on events and you'll should see the, the, the events page will continue to change as we keep adding speakers. I'm just giving you kind of the, the, uh, the beef of the speakers up front here that, cause we had to click off some, uh, advertisements right away. So again, I think that's a basic thing we've given you. And, uh, by, by all means, I'm going to attend the, the Peggy Hall event at the end because I want to hear this gal, uh, th- what we're trying to do as a church community, I go to this church is to really help anybody, whether they're church people or not. We just want to help people 
survive this disaster that the government is perpetrated on us. Okay. So we're going to take a break here. We have five more sections uh, to go today and uh, we got plenty to talk about and I hope it's all going to be helpful because that's my intent here is to be a help and not just spew off hot air. Okay. Blood, toil, tears, and sweat. We have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many long months of struggle and of suffering. You ask, what is our policy? I will say, it is to wage war by sea, land, and air, with all our might, with all the strength that God can give us, to wage war against a monstrous tyranny never surpassed in the dark and lamentable catalogue of human crime. That is our policy. To ask, what is our aim? I can answer in one word. Victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory however long and hard the road may be. For without victory there is no survival. Now, we are the masters of our faith. That the task which has been set us is not above our strength. That its pangs and toils are not beyond our endurance. Long as we have faith in our cause and uh, an unconquerable willpower, salvation will not be denied us. Hitler knows that he will have to break us in this island or lose the war. Let us, therefore, brace ourselves to our duties and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its Commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will still say this was their finest hour. Never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields and in the streets, we shall fight in the hills, we shall never surrender. Never give it, never, 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 in nothing, great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. We stood all alone a year ago, and to many countries it seemed that our account was closed. We were finished. All this tradition of ours, our school history, our songs, this part of the history of our country, all were gone and finished. 
and liquidated. Very different is the mood today. Britain, other nations thought, had drawn a sponge across her slate. But instead, our country stood in the gap. There was no flinching, no thought of giving in. And by what seemed almost a miracle to those outside these islands, though we ourselves never doubted it, we now find ourselves in a position where I say we can be sure that we have only to persevere to conquer. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable, and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs, and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who moved forward and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy, the faith, the devotion, which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade in downtown Dallas. The first reports say that President Kennedy has been seriously wounded by this shooting. The flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. There's only one word to describe the picture here, and that's grief. What was it that moved this nation so much? 
its youth, grace, beauty, hope, promise. As history goes on, it will stay a very prominent part of its history. It's never going to fade. It is never going to fade. So I, I want to talk for a second about uh, Gavin Newsom. Uh, usually at this time of the uh, the uh, talk, I talk about recalling Newsom. And uh, let's see, what am I doing here? I need to look at something, make sure I'm at the right spot. Okay. So I, I want to... Uh, you don't have to look very far if you Google Newsom to see how many things he's doing completely wrong, and he's just completely lawless. And uh, basically, our legislature shut down out here. And uh, so, for instance, he shut down all, all these business, liquor stores, wineries and stuff, but his stayed open. And then I found out the other day that the way he stayed open is he created, uh, he changed his business into just people walk in to a uh, private club. And so you, it's a category. And so when you you create a private club, you have a membership, and so you charge a dollar, right? But for a pi- private club, they could function. See, all these things are very arbitrary. Now, you'd think if he was governor and he was concerned about all the wineries and all the liquor stores or the, all the bars, that he would have offered all of them, or the restaurants, they could have become a private club, and, and you pay a dollar a month you know, say you pay a $12 a year entry fee and then they give it back in coupons or whatever. And it puts you in a different status because again, what it is is government inserting themselves into business and business then figuring a way, figuring out a way to function around all the rules. And that's exactly what Gavin did for himself, but he forgot that he was really supposed to be serving all of us. Now, Governor Newsom and Governor Kemp of uh, Newsom's a Democrat. Kemp uh, has got an R by his name, but he really is a Democrat down in Georgia. And um, it says, in this is this is the corruption. China has infiltrated the the United States of America at numerous levels, including from laboratories to government to spies to people, uh, women and men having sex with uh, partners and uh, secret agents and paying people off and giving people money. And so governors have been getting a lot of money. So in July of this year, uh, this article came out about how Governor Newsom was caught wiring a half of, not a million, a half a billion dollars. He was caught wiring. Now, normally expenditures in a, in a state has to go through, uh, just like at the federal level, the House of Representatives is where the budget is created and they they do the spending bills and then they have to be approved by the Senate. In the state level, the assembly is where the money the the uh, money is generated or they determine they're going to make a purchase and they okay that. <coughs> but it, it, during this time of quote crisis, Governor Newsom just said I'm just going to make all those decisions myself. And so what he did is he was caught wiring a billion dollars, half a billion dollars to, to China as part of a massive face, ba- face mask money laundering scheme. It just wasn't a, now we thought he just went out and did something stupid and bought 
uh, all these face masks. So it says back in April, even the mainstream media was questioning what Newsom was up to when it was revealed that he had wired a half a billion dollars to an electric car company in China to supposedly buy N95 masks for, for the Wuhan virus, right? So this is pretty interesting. The decision was never voted on or approved by the legislature, as I just mentioned. And when pressed for the details, Newsom refused to give them out. He wouldn't tell the public what the details of this purchase was, which is incredible. Keep in mind that the, that this half a billion dollars was just the first of, of, uh, of two installments. In other words, he's going to collect the mask and pay the other half billion. Now, the interesting thing is why the, the state government has to buy a billion dollars. Why wouldn't people just buy masks as they needed them? And then suppliers just buy masks as they needed them. Now, the interesting thing as well is China created this virus, but Americans make masks. We have all kinds of wonderful companies that make great masks in our in our nation. So the, the Chinese electric car company in question, it's called BYD, you can look it up, still has the money and never has delivered a mask. Now, the, now the interesting information here is, is another governor, Governor Kemp of Georgia, where they're going to have an election in just a couple of days. Uh, he may have done the same thing. The state officials sent, sent huge amounts of money to China under the cover of buying COVID supplies or PPE, personal protection equipment. Uh, then China launders the money into financial kickbacks for the governor's family members or business entities, according to this article. This is exactly what now be, be, is being alleged by attorney Lynn Wood. Now, Lynn Wood is the guy, he, he's the guy that went against the FBI after the, uh, the Olympic bombing, and uh, he, got, he got Richard Jewell uh, off. That was a, They were trying to frame uh, a security guard down there. He's had other very successful cases, Lynn Wood. So this is Lynn Wood, and he's a, he's uh, suggesting, he's stating, uh, and he describes a shocking pattern of communist Chinese infiltration and corruption of U.S. governors. Um, so uh, I, I, he says, I'm going to read what he says. He said, I believe that Brian Kemp, this amazing, this is a high-profile attorney in the, in the United States of America who was arguing some of these voter fraud cases for Donald Trump. He says, I believe that Brian Kemp, that's the governor, is corrupt. And I think he was corrupted with Chinese money. And I don't think he wants his election overthrown and the and the real results posted because then Brian Kemp is going to be facing a Trump administration. Attorney General and Brian Kemp would find themselves in jail. It's that simple. He sold himself out. Now he's trying to hide to try to get this election validated, even though it's illegal, because uh, uh, because it may it's inv- it it will be invalidated. Brian Kemp and a lot of other Georgia people are in trouble, including the Secretary of State. He says, "I'm a." This is what Lynn uh, Wood says. I'm a defamation lawyer. I have stated publicly that Brian Kemp and Attorney General Raffensperger are corrupt, and they took money from the Chinese on the COVID deal and on the Dominion voting deal. I bet you anything Brian Kemp won't sue me for defamation because he knows if he did, he's going to come to court, and I have the opportunity to do discovery, 
and I would prove that he did it and that it's true. Now, uh, there's all kinds of corruption going on. This isn't just about an election. That this the election only brought uh, stirred the uh, filth to the surface, brought the corruption to the surface. Other independent media sources are also reporting that the Trump administration via the NSA has proof of the financial transaction that show Kemp and Raffensperger taking bribery money, bribery money from China. Trump was waiting for Kemp and Raffensperger to complete the crime of certifying Georgia's voting results before moving against them for criminal fraud and corruption charges. We are now hearing that communist China ran a web of financial kickbacks and bribes to multiple governors and state officials across the United States, including California and Georgia, with many other states soon to follow. In every single case, governors and state officials transferred huge sums of money to China front companies for COVID supplies that were never delivered or delivered at low cost, low quality items, nowhere near the stated value. Now you say, well, how do we know that's really true? Well, I'll give you something that is confirming in California. So what happened when the state gets products delivered, when they purchase products, there is a, a department that checks those products to make sure if they're particularly their personal uh, protective uh, gear, they have to make sure that they're up to a certain standard. Like we, we have what they call an OSHA standard. Like if, if it's a clothing or headgear or breathing apparatus and stuff. So when OSHA, the OSHA, uh, when the people first looked at the samples sent over by the BYD company, the electric car company, they rejected the mass, the sample mass that were sent over by China. They said, these are lousy, low quality masks. That's just what this article is saying. They rejected those masks. So a portion of the extra funds, this article says, was paid back to family members and specially structured business entities connected to the state officials. Now, I know that to be true of the Newsom situation because they went through a go-between between BYD company in China, and there was a, a, a state, United States company, a company in the United States that was connected to China that were kind of um, a freight forwarder or a marketing company that handled the deal, right? So they got a lot of money and they have, uh, the reason they were used is because they supported Gavin Newsom's election. They donated a lot of money to him, right? So uh, they this, this article says, we fully expect Oregon Governor Kate Brown to soon be implicated as well in the corruption scheme. New York Governor Cuomo is likely to involved. Um, so anyway, the reason I brought that up is that we have an opportunity uh, I, uh, to recall Governor Newsom. Now, it's interesting. I just noticed uh, in an article preparing for this uh, talk today that in California, since the founding of California, which I believe was 1850, there's been 55 attempts to recall governors in this state. Isn't that amazing? That's a lot of attempts. Now, there's been lots of states attempt to recall their governors as well. However, uh, it's not easy to recall a governor. Sometimes you'll have a recall petition and they won't get enough signatures or they'll get a recall petition signed properly and they'll get it on the ballot and they won't be able to get enough votes on the ballot because the petition just gets them on the ballot. Then you have to vote yes or no. We want to recall or we don't. So um, anyway, 
California in 2003 was one of only two states since the beginning of America. It's amazing to me how rare it is. But in 2003, people got frustrated with Democrat Governor Gray Davis over high energy mismanagement of the state and high energy and just given unions huge increases, 35 percent increases in pay and changing huge pension increases and huge DMV increases, which to me isn't even as bad as uh, Gavin Newsom. But people got flared up and they uh, recalled uh, Gray Davis in 2003. So if if uh, Gavin Newsom gets recalled and and uh, in other words, put on the ballot, special election and voted out, it will be only the third time in the history of the United States that's happened. And two of those times have been in California. So the way you can help uh, and I talk about this every week. I'm going to t- continue to talk about it. Uh, so you guys in California can do something. Listen, I made this talk. I gave a little spiel at, uh, church meeting here recently that I think it was glad tidings last Saturday night. And I just said, Hey, I just said what I just said to you. And a bunch of people signed up and took stacks of petitions, packets, do your own, uh, do your own, uh, petitions where you have five petitions in a packet and you go and get 25 signatures, five per petition. And, uh, and you can go to your neighbors at an event like a new year's event or a get together or whatever you're going to do a neighborhood event. And you can get signatures and you can turn them in yourself. You can mail them in to the uh, recall Gavin uh, uh, headquarters. So if you don't have any of those petitions, you can go to recall Gavin g-a-v-i-n 2020 the numbers.com and you could print them off or you can find uh the facebook site for your county one of the 58 counties are all listed there and you could go on your county's facebook site for recall gavin 2020 and they will tell you where to come and get petitions or sign up uh if you're local in yuba sutter i've just been sending everybody out to elite universal security at 5548 federal boulevard in uh, Yuba County, just south of Marysville, because they're open 20, 24 hours a day and they're open every day of the week. They're a security outfit. So you can get petitions there. You can sign. You could register to vote. You can do all kinds of things there. So seven, if, if you're interested, uh, if you need to call them for some reason, 530-749-0280. Now, we, the, the number of good signatures we need on a petition to put this all on the ballot is just a skosh under 1.5 million good signatures. So uh, I've been told that we have basically that many total signatures at this time, but we need an an extra few hundred thousand uh, because we know that some signatures will not be accepted. Either they won't be able to read them clearly, or maybe somebody wrote their name differently. They left out their middle initial. If they, you know, in other words, they compare it to how you registered to vote. So if you put your middle initial in or you left it out and then you add it in, if it isn't similar, exactly similar, uh, it's not going to fly. And or if your address is different, if there's anything screwy about it, they'll toss it. So we have to prepare for rejection. Right. And and so that's why we need more signatures. And so if you can help us, people say, oh, what can I do? I feel so helpless. You know, the government's just doing this. They just do that. We don't have any power. Yes, you do have power, but a lot of times you're lazy 
and uh, you're you're a wuss and you just don't get off your butt and go do something. So there's all like there. Some of my friends have been having these pop up tents and they've been doing the sign up thing for months outdoors in the heat and the cold. And they've been doing it at at, um, at marketplaces and parking lots along the street. And you could do that. Anybody can do that. You do not have to be educated in particular things. You don't have to have a permit. You just go do that. And you could do that or you could do it on your own. There's lots of things you can do, uh, but a lot of times you just want to have an excuse. Now, the cool thing is some people say, well, I don't vote because it's just one vote and it doesn't make any difference. Well, here, in this case, you can vote many times. And what I mean by that is when you if you're going to be honest, you just go and vote once. But in this case, you can take a petition. You could take petitions. And you could get hundreds of people, and that would have a huge impact on the recall of the governor. You can only vote against him once, but you could recruit hundreds of people to get that on the ballot, to get that case, that whole issue on the ballot. You could get a thousand signatures. So that's just now you think, well, is that worth you putting some effort into it? If one person goes out and gets a thousand people or 500 or 200 or 70 people to sign up to at least get it on the ballot. That's a huge amount of influence, right? If that's your excuse, oh, well, one person can't make a big impact. Well, on a recall or a petition campaign, you can have a phenomenal impact. So if now that's, you're going to have to have a different excuse now. Uh, I think you're just full of excuses. So that's, that's that. So Gavin Newsom, we want to take him out. He's corrupt. He's dishonest. Uh, he is this whole thing of opening, closing, opening, closing is nothing more than trying to drive people out of business. If, if I'm not going to argue all the logic, there's no logic to it. There's no logic to it. If you can touch that touchpad at Sam's club, Walmart, uh, Lowe's home Depot, and you can touch that after all these kind of people have touched that there's hundreds of people in those businesses. And then they tell, Oh, a bank can only have two. But then the bank right next door can have all they want. It's just totally nuts. So the whole thing is a scam to shut down and take control of this country. Masks, the whole thing uh, is is a fraud, total fraud, total lie. Now, I just watched a video, fascinating videos, one on Tony Fauci. It was just him being interviewed by not by uh, a new news work, news network. It was CS, CBS, N, CBS, N News. And they were talking to him about he him taking the Moderna, uh, what do they call it, vaccine. Because there's a picture of him sitting, and he rolls up his left sleeve, and they supposedly shoot him in the left sleeve, left arm. So he's talking about, hey, it was just wonderful, no pain. He had a little pain. He had a little pain in the arm. So when he, he you know how sometimes you will touch your arm that you say you had pain in. Oh, I had a little, there's a little pain, a little soreness in the arm, but no reaction. No, everything's fine. I'm healthy. Everything's good. It was no big deal. Da, 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 right. Totally safe. Well, when, so I, on the film, they show him getting shot in the left arm, but when he reaches up to say, my arm's just a little sore, he takes his left arm and reaches over and touches the top of his right arm to say, yeah, my shoulder, my arm's a little, t- little sore over here. He's a liar. He didn't. Th- that was a fake shot, and he's a liar. Now, then they, then they interview Bill Gates, and and the a different lady, CBSN, different lady, both same channel, 
begins questioning Gates about they've been having some really uh, strong reactions, uh, physical reactions to the Moderna vaccine. And I'm telling you what, if you can find this, I'm not going to play it because you really got to look at, you know, when you can see a person lying, it's just not their words. It's the way they look. They're squirming in their seat. I'm never, my Bill Gates has like, he's high, high profile, dude. He does not, this isn't the first time he's been before a camera. This guy is, he wants out. He's squirming in his seat. He can't even finish a sentence on this deal about Moderna. And uh, they didn't ask him whether he took uh, a vaccine. All he, all they said is, hey, there's people having vaccine problems or big reactions to this. What do you say about that? And honestly, he just had a cow and tried to put it off on FDA, tried to put it off on everybody else. Uh, we're at the end of our second segment, so we'll be right back. And uh, we got plenty more for you here, four more segments. Got a black magic woman. Got a black magic woman. Got a black magic woman. Got me so blind I can't see. Dear Black America, there are a few things that have been on my mind lately. So I'm writing this letter in the hopes that this video will spark a larger conversation on Black American culture and how I personally believe plays a significant role in the degradation of the Black experience. That being said, I have some observations that I'd like to share with all of you. Black America, you want Black people to succeed, but will encourage victimhood over perseverance. You don't want to be viewed as a criminal, but will gladly turn one into a martyr. You say black folks are not a monolith, yet you'll ostracize those who don't think like you, vote like you, or live their life like you. You say you want diversity and representation, but are intolerant to political diversity and political representation. You say black lives matter, but what you really mean is only the black lives who agree with me matter. You say listen to black voices, but only if those black voices vote Democrat. You'll declare that celebrities like Ice Cube and Lil Wayne are being used as political pawns, yet Cardi B and Offset are not. Speaking about Cardi B, she makes a song about wet and that's considered female empowerment, yet Candace Owens, who preaches self-accountability, makes her a sellout. You're fed up with the harmful stereotypes that Black Americans have, yet refuse to acknowledge how much of a role you've had in creating those same stereotypes. Your music encourages gang violence and drug use. Your media makes a mockery of black people for the sake of entertainment. Your vocabulary is self-deprecating instead of empowering. Your mindset on what is black discourages growth by guilting those who refuse to be boxed in. You say you want racism to end, but will openly be racist towards others because you've convinced yourself that your circumstances give you a free pass to do so. You talk about black empowerment, but will use difference of opinion to justify calling another black person a or a house nigger. You talk about setting black people up for success, but will lower the bar with affirmative action. You talk about being kings and queens, but will push for bullshit programs like critical race theory that reaffirms white people will always have an advantage over you, thus crippling your self-confidence, destroying your self-worth, and brainwashing black youth to believe that there will always be a cap on their success. How can anyone persevere in this type of environment? You say black people are being exterminated, but refuse to acknowledge the astronomical rates at which black men are killing each other. You would rather focus on how an officer reacted rather than the choices someone made to put themselves in that position to begin with. 
Instead of encouraging self-ownership, you make excuses for every aspect of someone's life. Blacks are poor, have less resources, or lack the education to succeed, you say. But you'll completely discredit the many black immigrants who continue to succeed in this country despite having less favorable circumstances than you. Is racism truly the driving force behind inequality? Or is it the lack of self-ownership, the lack of resilience, and the lack of perseverance? The world is a terrible place, and we both know that racism is never going away. But is adopting victimhood really the solution to all of life's problems? I know that I'll be accused of having self-hatred or being anti-Black because I'm pointing out the flaws within our culture. But on the contrary, I believe what I'm saying is a form of love. Anything of value needs to be maintained, and maintenance involves addressing the areas that need to be improved. Would you rather someone smile while lying to your face, or would you rather hear the truth despite how much it hurts? The first step towards fixing a problem is to acknowledge that there is, in fact, a problem. So, Black America, how do we fix this? Welcome back. I'm going to uh, do something different today. Uh, and because we kind of put this program together, uh, we mix it after I do my audio part. I'm just going to give a lead in and uh, and then I'm going to uh, we will we're going to put in a, a 60 minutes report from 1976. Now, that may be uh, should be after most of you were born at listening to this show, but. In 1976, something interesting happened, and I, re I remember that year. There were several significant things that happened in my life in that year, so I'm pretty—I I have good memory of it. But I don't remember the swine flu, and that's how little I ever paid attention to things like this flu, that flu, get this, get that. I never have been vaccinated for anything uh, like flus and stuff. So in 1976, there was a big hullabaloo about the f swine flu. And uh, so big of a deal that they came out with a vaccine about the, regarding the flu, like they do today, about flus as opposed to COVID, which isn't flu. And so they uh, they came out with a vaccine very quickly, and they the FDA and everybody, the CDC, Center for Disease Control, Food and Drug Administration, all said safe, 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 and they started inject injecting people. And there were problems. And so uh, what happened was that people had neurological, uh, some people had neurological problems and went into paralysis, all kinds of problems. And so Mike Wallace, back when he was sounded at least more conservative and, and uh, unbiased, uh, certainly he wasn't that at the end of his life, but Mike Wallace is the interviewer and um, they're interviewing uh both heads of the uh, the different medical departments in the United States, as well as this woman who was severely damaged and ended up being uh, permanently crippled. She's a school teacher. And, uh, and they were suing the government at that time because it, it, it totally wrecked her life. And so uh, it's called the swine flu fraud of 1976, 60 minutes with Mike Wallace. You, you could see the whole thing on, uh, on YouTube or BitChute, one of these places. I think I got it off BitChute. 
Uh, it's about four, a little over 14 minutes long, but I think it's well worth it. So normally I don't play long clips like this, but I'm going to play this for you right now. And then I will just come in. This will finish out this segment uh, almost. I'll come in here uh, after it's over and, and just give you a little wrap-up, okay? The flu season is upon us. Which type will we worry about this year? And what kind of shots will we be told to take? Remember the swine flu scare of 1976? That was the year the U.S. government told us all that swine flu could turn out to be a killer that could spread across the nation. And Washington decided that every man, woman, and child in the nation should get a shot to prevent a nationwide outbreak, a pandemic. Well, 46 million of us obediently took the shot. And now 4,000 Americans are claiming damages from Uncle Sam amounting to $3.5 billion because of what happened when they took that shot. By far the greatest number of the claims, two-thirds of them, are for neurological damage or even death, allegedly triggered by the flu shot. We pick up the story back in 1976 when the threat posed by the swine flu virus seemed very real indeed. This virus was the cause of a pandemic in 1918 and 1919 that resulted in over half a million deaths in the United States, as well as 20 million deaths around the world. See how easy it is to... Thus, the U.S. government's publicity machine was cranked into action to urge all America to protect itself against the swine flu menace. Influenza is serious business. During major flu epidemics, millions of people are sick and thousands die. Well, this year you can get protection. The vaccines are safe, easy to take, and they can protect you against flu. So roll up your sleeve. Protect yourself. One of those who did roll up her sleeve was Judy Roberts. She was perfectly healthy, an active woman, when in November of 1976, she took her shot. Two weeks later, she says, she began to feel a numbness starting up her legs. I joked about it at that time. I said, I'll be numb to the knees by Friday if this keeps up. By the following week, I was totally paralyzed. So completely paralyzed, in fact, that they had to operate on her to enable her to breathe. And for six months, Judy Roberts was a quadriplegic. The diagnosis? A neurological disorder called Guillain-Barre syndrome, GBS for short. These neurological diseases are little understood. They affect people in different ways. As you can see in these home movies taken by a friend, Judy Roberts' paralysis confined her mostly to a wheelchair for over a year. But this disease can even kill. Indeed, there are 300 claims now pending from the families of GBS victims who died, allegedly as a result of the swine flu shot. In other GBS victims, the crippling effects diminish and all but disappear. But for Judy Roberts, progress back to good health has been painful and partial. Now, I notice that your smile, Judy, is a little bit constricted. Yes, it is. Is it different from what it used to be? Very different. I have uh, a greatly decreased mobility in my lips. And uh, I can't drink through a straw on the right-hand side. I can't blow out birthday candles. Uh, I don't whistle anymore, for which my husband is grateful. It may be a little difficult for you to answer this question, but have you recovered as much as you are going to recover? Yes, this, this is it. So you will now have a legacy of braces on your legs for the rest of your life? Yes, the weakness in my hands will stay and the leg braces will stay. So Judy Roberts and her husband have filed a claim against the U.S. government. 
They're asking $12 million, though they don't expect to get nearly that much. Judy, why did you take the flu shot? I'd never taken any other flu shots, but I felt like this was going to be a major epidemic. And the only way to prevent a major epidemic of a, a really deadly variety of flu was for everybody to be immunized. Where did this so-called deadly variety of flu, where did it first hit back in 1976? It began right here at Fort Dix in New Jersey in January of that year when a number of recruits began to complain of respiratory ailments, something like the common cold. An army doctor here sent samples of their throat cultures to the New Jersey Public Health Lab to find out just what kind of bug was going around here. One of those samples was from a Private David Lewis who had left his sickbed to go on a forced march. Private Lewis had collapsed on that march, and his sergeant had revived him by mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. But the sergeant showed no signs of illness. A few days later, Private Lewis died. If this disease is so potentially fatal that it's going to kill a young, healthy man, a middle-aged schoolteacher doesn't have a prayer. The New Jersey lab identified most of those soldiers' throat cultures as the normal kind of flu virus going around that year, but they could not make out what kind of virus was in the culture from the dead soldier and from four others who were sick. So they sent those cultures to the Federal Center for Disease Control in Atlanta, Georgia, for further study. A few days later, they got the verdict, swine flu. But that much-publicized outbreak of swine flu at Fort Dix involved only Private Lewis, who died, and those four other soldiers who recovered completely without the swine flu shot. If I had known at that time that the boy had been in a sickbed, got up, went out on a forced march, and then collapsed and died, I would never have taken a shot. The rationale for our recommendation was not on the basis of the death of uh, a single individual, but it was on the basis that when we do see a change in the characteristics of the influenza virus, it is a massive uh, public health problem in this country. Dr. David Sensor, then head of the CDC, the Center for Disease Control in Atlanta, is now in private industry. He devised the swine flu program, and he pushed it. You began to give flu shots to the American people in October of 76. October 1st. By that time, how many cases of swine flu around the world had been reported? There had been uh, several reported, but none confirmed. There had been cases in uh, uh, Australia that were reported by the press, uh, by the news media. There were cases in... Uh, None confirmed. Did you ever uncover any other outbreaks of swine flu anywhere in the world? No. Now, nearly everyone was to receive the shot in a public health facility where a doctor might not be present. Therefore, it was up to the CDC to come up with some kind of official consent form giving the public all the information it needed about the swine flu shot. This form stated that the swine flu vaccine had been tested. What it didn't say was that after those tests were completed, the scientists developed another vaccine. And that was the one given to most of the 46 million who took the shot. That vaccine was called X53A. Was X53A ever field tested? Uh, I... I can't say I would have to... Uh, it wasn't. I don't know. Well, I would think that you're in charge of the program. I would have to check uh, the records. I haven't uh, looked at this in some time. The information form, the consent form, was also supposed to warn people about any risks of serious complications following the shot. But did it? 
No, I had never heard of any reactions other than a sore arm, fever, this sort of thing. Judy Roberts' husband, Gene, also took the shot. Yes, I looked at that document. I signed it. Nothing on there said I was going to have a heart attack or I'd get Guillain-Barre, which I never heard of. What if people from the government, from the Center for Disease Control, what if they had indeed known about it? What would be your feeling? They should have told us. Did anyone ever come to you and say, you know something, fellas? There's the possibility of neurological damage if you get into a mass immunization program. No. No one ever did? No. Do you know Michael Hatwick? Yes. Mm -hmm. Dr. Michael Hatwick directed the surveillance team for the swine flu program at the CDC. His job was to find out what possible complications could arise from taking the shot and to report his findings to those in charge. Did you know ahead of time, Dr. Hatwick, that there had been case reports of neurological disorders, neurological illness, apparently associated with the injection of influenza vaccine? Absolutely. You did? Yes. How'd you know that? By review of the literature. So you told your superiors, the men in charge of the swine flu immunization program, about the possibility of neurological disorders? Absolutely. What would you say if I told you that your superiors say that you never told them about the possibility of neurological complications? That's nonsense. I can't believe that they would say that they did not know that there were neurological illnesses associated with influenza vaccination. That simply is not true. We did know that. I've said that Dr. Hatwick had never told me of uh, his feelings on this subject. Uh, and he's lying. I guess you would have to um, make that assumption. Then why does this report from your own agency, dated July 1976, list neurological complications as a possibility? I think the uh, consensus of uh, the scientific community was that the evidence relating neurologic disorders to influenza immunization uh, was such that they did not feel that this association was a real one. You didn't feel it was necessary to tell the American people that information? Uh, I think that uh, over the, the years we have tried to inform the American people as, as fully as possible. As part of informing Americans about the swine flu threat, Dr. Sensor's CDC also helped create the advertising to get the public to take the shot. Let me read to you from one of your own agency's memos planning the campaign to urge Americans to take the shot. The swine flu vaccine has been taken by many important persons, he wrote. Example, President Ford. Henry Kissinger, Elton John, Muhammad Ali, Mary Tyler Moore, Rudolf Nureyev, Walter Cronkite, Ralph Nader, Edward Kennedy, etc., etc. True? Uh, I'm not familiar with that particular piece of paper, uh, but I do know that at least of that group, President Ford did take the vaccination. Did you talk to these people beforehand to find out if they planned to take the shot? I did not know. Did anybody? I do not know. Did you get permission to use their names in your campaign? I do not know. Mary, did you take a swine flu shot? No, I did not. Did you give them permission to use your name saying that you had or were going to? Absolutely not. Never did. Did you ask your own doctor about taking the swine flu shot? Yes, and at the time he thought it might be a good idea. Um, but I resisted it because well, I was leery of having the symptoms that sometimes go with that kind of inoculation. So you didn't? No, I didn't. Have you spoken to your doctor since? Yes. And? He's delighted that I didn't take that shot. 
You're in charge. Somebody's in charge. There are... This is your advertising strategy that I have a copy of here. Who's it signed by? This one is unsigned. But you, you'll acknowledge that it was your baby, so to speak. It uh, could have been from the uh, Department of Health, Education, and Welfare. It could be from CDC. I don't know. I'll be happy to take uh, responsibility for it. It's been three years now since you fell ill with GBS, right? Right. Has the federal government, in your estimation, played fair with you about your claim? No, I don't think so. Uh, it seems to be dragging on and on and on. And really, no end in sight that I can see at this point. With respect to the cases of Guillaume Barre, allegedly... Former Secretary of HEW Joseph Califano, too, was disturbed that there was no end in sight. So a year and a half ago, he promised that Uncle Sam would cut the bureaucratic red tape for victims suffering from GBS and would pay up quickly. We shouldn't hold them to an impossible or too difficult standard of proving that they were hurt. Even if we pay a few people a few thousand dollars that might not have deserved it, I think justice requires that we promptly pay those people who do deserve it. Who's making the decision to be so hard-nosed about settling? Well, I assume the uh, Justice Department is. Griffin uh, Bell, before he left? Well, the Justice Department agreed to the statement I made. It was cleared word for word uh, with the lawyers in the Justice Department by my HEW lawyers. And that statement said, in effect, that that statement said that we should pay uh, Guillaume Beret claims without regard to whether the federal government was negligent if they, re if they resulted from the swine flu shot. I think the government knows it's wrong. If it drags out long enough, that people will just give up. <laughs> Let it go. I, I am a little more adamant in my thoughts than my wife is because uh, I asked, told Judy to take the shot. She wasn't going to take it, and uh, she never had had shots. And uh, I'm mad with my government because they knew the facts, but they didn't release those facts because they, if they had released them, the people wouldn't have taken them. And they can come out tomorrow and tell me there's going to be an epidemic and they can drop off like flies next to me. I will not take another shot that my government tells me to take. Meantime, Judy Roberts and some 4,000 others like her are still waiting for their day in court. All right. So that was the swine flu fraud, 1976, 60 minutes. You can look it up, listen to it, share it with your friends. It's about 14, 15 minutes long. So the reason I played that is that normally in America, we take a lot of uh, uh, pride and a lot of time and a lot of effort to have informed consent in medicine. So I've had some surgeries, and uh, I won't go through all the details on how they explained to me the ups and downs, positives and negatives of the surgery, made sure I understand what I was getting into, made sure I, they, they made sure of a lot of stuff to do it right. And so the problem I have particularly with this is the United States government is deceiving its own people and they have made, they politicized the medical world instead of letting, letting doctors that are actually treating people down on the street. They have these bureaucrats like Fauci. They call him Dr. Fauci, but he's never treated patients. He just worked in the lab all these years so, but they have agendas and they are not telling the whole truth, uh, nothing but the truth to help them God. 
and they're not telling uh, about remedies for COVID that could have been done right in right in the local doctor's office and taken care of it. And no one would have had to get on a ventilator or go to the hospital or, or very few unless they had some severe complicating uh, experiences like bad lungs or or one lung or whatever. But they are deceiving people. In fact, it wasn't until after the election, which is very interesting. I talked about this last week, that the AMA, the American Medical Association, changed its perspective while they why they came out and they agreed with Fauci that that hydroxychloroquine was some sort of a risky drug, which was a total crock of crap. And now after the election, they thought, oh, we reconsidered it and everything's fine. There was no new studies. They just simply changed their opinion. And that was a complete lie. They actually took uh, doctors that have wonderful doctors from around the United States. They took their videos down talking about various ways that they could stop uh, COVID. So what I want you to do is if you're going to take the vaccine, you better go see what's in it and and look at the documents. And because the one coming out of uh of England, which I don't know that we're going to be using that one over here, but it actually has aborted fetus in it. Uh, it has all kinds of things. This uh, this isn't just a typical vaccine, but it attaches itself to your DNA permanently for the rest of your life. Some people are saying it; they're afraid that it will uh, uh, compromise your immune system. Uh, people are having reactions uh, to it all over the world. Uh, so it's up to you. You know, we all take risks in life, do drugs. We we party with the wrong people, uh, end up with the wrong individuals. We have premarital sex. We have unprotected sex. We take acid. We smoke marijuana. We take alcohol and drive. We take risks as human beings. I just w- want to say to you that uh, this, this has a 99.7 survival rate on almost everybody, but really highly compromised individuals. You better think it through, uh, whether you, whether you want to take it or not. And they're very, being very deceptive on when they say we found more cases, they're not finding more sick people. They're finding people that have it in their system. And, and even that's debatable because they, as doctors say, that could be a false positive. In other words, it reads positive, but you really never had it. But most people, had it and didn't even know they had it. It just wasn't any big deal because their immune system strong enough just knocked it out. So uh, we're going to take a break right now and we'll be right back with our fourth segment. With a black cat living in a black neighborhood He's got an interstate running through his front yard You know he thinks God is so good And this woman in the kitchen cleaning up evening slime. And he looks at her and says, Darling, I can't remember what you do. Stop a play. Oh, but ain't that America? Who you and me? Ain't that America? Something to see, baby. Ain't that America? Home on the free. I oppose the NDAA not because I'm against our troops 
but because I love them so much. America's fighting men and women are so precious that they should not have to die in some failed state, some faraway land that most Americans can't even point to on a map, so that defense contractors can extend our involvement in these wars, so that lobbyists can get rich, and so that members of Congress can get reelected. This good bill has been hijacked by the forever war lobby and their bought and paid for allies in the United States Congress. It puts barriers in the way of an administration that wants to bring our troops home and put America first. This legislation has become too swampy. It does good things to ensure that America can vanquish any foe on the battlefield, but we should only fight when that fight is just and proper. We have spent two decades trading the same villages back and forth in Afghanistan, and I believe that the administration that leads our country should work to bring those troops home. And unfortunately, this bill does exactly the opposite from Afghanistan, from Germany, and elsewhere. I'm going to put America first, and I'm voting against this bill. I yield back. Well, food laws have just changed in China this week. Now, you might think, huh, big deal. Sounds like small beer in the bigger scheme of things, but... These new draconian, almost prisoner-based laws epitomised the mentality of Beijing in 2020. And the backward direction leader Xi Jinping is taking his nation. Diners who don't eat all their food at restaurants in China will be fined under a new law designed to reduce food waste. Now, the law bans waiters, too, from luring and misleading diners in ordering too much food. They'll be required to remind customers about avoiding waste. So much for hard-working Chinese restaurateurs who want their customers to order as much as they can afford in a banquet to make a profit. I know, you will strive for mediocrity under the CCP. Local governments will be in charge of inspecting plates and ensuring every last crumb has been consumed. You can just imagine a government official holding a clipboard and standing behind some poor customer telling them to eat up. They might even carry a weapon to ensure the orders are adhered to. Who knows? Anti-food waste slogans must also be shown in restaurants in eye-catching places and relayed by waiters to their customers. The law also bans the publication of videos that promote gluttony, such as eating contests, which are quite popular on Asian uh, social media platforms. Offenders can be fined up to 2000 Australian dollars. Now, the campaign has fueled speculation that China is preparing for an economic shockwave given deteriorating relations between Beijing and several Western powers, including, of course, us and the United States. But do you see what gives when China creates a trade war which puts strain on power and food supplies? Not the government. They don't give. It can't ever lose face. The people cop it, even to the point of death. Right now, across the entire nation, China is facing the longest period of blackouts for many decades and smack bang in the middle of a cruel winter. Some cities are recording minus 40-degree temperatures and can't turn the heating on. Can you imagine how many people are dying in those conditions? And, of course, they wouldn't tell you that. It's all happening as 70 coal ships remain anchored off the Chinese coast with a billion dollars of high-quality Australian coal on board. But again... This is about never losing face. And now, because their foul diplomacy has ruined food supply chains, they can make their people pay the price, not the government. China wants to be treated like a grown-up. They want to be treated like a superpower.
But this just goes to show they're actually regressing, turning to almost primitive policies which seem unthinkable in the year 2020. China is creating a new dark age for its people, literally and figuratively. And you just have to wonder whether something will eventually give and crack. Let's hope it's the people of China, who I might mention in large numbers are protesting about blackouts online. You can't imagine the regressives in Beijing making changes to the way their government behaves, but maybe as the people feel more pain and punishment, they could begin a movement to affect major change from the bottom up. Now, it's rather optimistic, I know, but history has shown us it does happen. All right. I want to talk to you. I just want to give you some a little bit more perspective on the flu and COVID. And um, so, first of all, I want to compare three different events to you. 1918, 2018, and 2020. If you want to write down these figures, you can. I know I try not to give a lot of figures over the, over the uh, audio because it, it just makes people dizzy and they can't follow you. But I think you can follow this. So in 1918, you hear that people refer, oh, this is like 1918, this is like 1918. The 1918, we had a thing called the Spanish flu. And the world population was 950 million. Just, so just hold the figure 1 billion. Just call it 1 billion. An estimated, right? 1918. So in that year, 50 million people died from this flu called the Spanish flu. Got it? 50 million out of about 950 million people, total population. What that meant was about 5.226%. A little over 5% of the world's population died from this flu. flu, And they called that a tragic event. In other words, that was way, way, a hu- it's a huge loss. 5% of the entire world population. In 2018, uh, they just picked 2018 to give you 100 years. And so we had, every year we have the flu. And they keep counting how many died by it, right? And sometimes they call it the Asian flu, the swine flu, the H1N1. You know, they have all these kind of terms for it. So in 2018, we just called it the seasonal flu. And in 2018, the world population, instead of 950 million, was 7.5 billion, right? Estimate. 7.5 billion just two years ago. So in, 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 in 2018, we didn't lose 50 million dead, like they did in 1918, we lost 650,000 dead. Now, people have become so sensitized to people dying with numbers now of different things. I think they forgot the fact that every day we go, we live, there's thousands and thousands of people that die around the world. It just happens. People come, people go. And so in 2018, 650,000 people died of the entire world population from the flu. That's 7.5 billion you know, there's a flu season. That's kind of the winter season for us here in America. So instead of 5.26% of the world's population dying in 2018 from the flu, 0.009%. That's nine. That's not even 1%. That's nine one thousandths of 1% died. 
So the experts, cons, cons, uh, their consideration from the experts was it wasn't a tragic event. It's just normally people die of something. And and that year, 650,000 people died from the flu. And that's kind of was normal. So they said that was a typical year. Sad when anybody dies, but that was a typical year. So now we come to 2020. We're not talking about the regular flu here. I'm going to talk about COVID. So they identified this illness called COVID-19. And so far, when this comparison was done, I know it changes every day, but you can look it up on the Centers for Disease Control or the World Population or the World Health Organization. They can tell you every country how many people they're counting up as a COVID death. So in, in this comparison, it showed at the, when this uh, comparison was done, 488,729 dead so far. People are still got it, so we're going to have more deaths, right? So 2018, from the seasonal flu, we had 650,000 dead. Spanish flu, 50 million dead. So, so far with COVID, we've got 488,729 when this was produced, okay? And we have about 7.7 billion people in the world right now. So the population keeps going up in the world, even though people are dying. So more people are coming into the world than going, okay? So what that works out to percentage-wise is 0.006% of the world's population uh, have died from COVID. So compared to 0.009%, compared in 2018, point, compared to 5.26% in, in 1918, okay? So 0.006% is less than last year in 2018's flu deaths at this point again it could be more it could end up being more than 2018 flu deaths so what we did though different than these 1918 or 2018 we shut down the entire world we shut down businesses all the non-essential all the small businesses we kept people in their homes we kept for the first time in world history we kept healthy people in their homes for the first time in world history we we did not treat in many states, we did not treat COVID until they got very serious. Then we sent them to the ICU. We This is the first time in history we shut the schools down. We shut, we shut churches down. We shut movie theaters down. We shut all this stuff. Why did we do that? It had nothing to do with the severity of the illness. We It had everything to do with an agenda, right? So the, it says 1% of the world's population right now of 7.7 .7 billion would be 77 million. So if, if we had, so, and, and their point is now a 5.26% is tragic back in 1918, 0.009% is like no big deal back in 2018. Why are we getting freaked out about 0.006% with COVID? It's because the entire media has, has convinced you of how bad it is. And scared the hell out of you. It just shows you the power of propaganda. Now I'm going to give you another comparison. That is really fascinating to me. Um, and that is U USA influenza comparison. So this compares 2017, 18, 19, 20. So in 2017. Uh, I'm just going to read these figures. You, you can write them down or not. Or you can just get a perspective from what I'm saying. So in 2017. We we found that 13 in, in this in America, 13,474 people uh, 
tested positive for this flu. Okay. In 2018, Uh, it shows, hold on here just a second. Let me just double check this. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to skip this because the, the, the figures don't, don't work right. So I'm just going to leave that out. So let me jump back here and I just want to share something with you of how much fear we live under. I'm just going to list some things that um, some of you that have lived for a while, uh, Oh, well, let me just go, go back. I was going to, going to compare the flus for 2017, 18, 19 and 20. So let me just go to 2020 and just say this. People have been commenting to me that there's no flu this year. Have you noticed that there's no big discussion of flu? Anybody's anybody asked anybody to get the flu shot? I'm not talking about COVID. I'm talking about the flu. Normally this, this year, this time of year, we have the flu. Uh, there's just literally hundreds of people that have been uh, now said they had the flu, right? A lot of people said they had the flu and they don't even go to the doctor. What's happening is, is everything is being counted as a COVID death. Whether you got in a car accident, whether you hung yourself, if, if they, if you hung yourself, and died, and you had co- and they checked your blood, and you had COVID. They're going to count that as a COVID death. You think you think that's bizarre? It is bizarre. It's it's an about an agenda, and it's and so all of a sudden we have all these COVID deaths, right? But where's the flu? Because you can look back at the. You don't have to look at any wild websites. Go to the California or the Centers for Disease Control, the United States Centers for Con- Disease Control. The World Health Organization will tell you how many people died of the flu in every every country in the world. They keep all those statistics. Very easy to find. Even a guy like me can find it. And so what's happening is, is there's there's a statistical scam. It's an agenda. It's a fraud that's being perpetrated on the American people. And I'm telling you, people will never trust medical science uh, like they used to because we used to just believe our government and that they would, would never deceive us when it when it came down to our health. So this talks about fear striking. You remember back in 2000, 2000 when it says when the century turns, we're going to have a meltdown of the computers, and they called it Y2K, year 2000. And there was all kinds of people. They were storing food. They, everything was going to melt down. Uh, the telephones were going to not work. Anything that was driven by computers was going to have a failure, and jobs are going to collapse. Oh, I had, a lot of my friends stored food. They had all kinds of boxes and in, in five gallon containers of rice and grain and generators everybody bought generators electricity was all remember that y2k i can't spend a lot of time on it but then in 2000 there's every single almost every single year something happened 2001 anthrax is going to kill us all 2002 you remember the west nile virus we even had uh all freak out here because uh, our all our waterways here and the mosquitoes west nile virus going to kill us all then we had sars in 2003 in fact i was in china when this happened in sars and and i we flew right in there and and did our mission stuff and that's going to kill us all bird flu 2005 kill us all e coli you remember uh, under obama e coli is going to kill us all 2008 financial collapse is going to ruin our lives in 2009 swine flu we had another swine flu is going to kill us all 
Then the Mayan calendar, you remember the Mayan calendar? And the Mayans somehow knew more than we did. In 2012, they predicted the end of the world. And we all, you know, lots of people said, oh, it's going to be the end of the world. 2012. 2013, North Korea is going to cause World War III. You remember that? They said Trump is so incompetent that, uh, you know, when he gets in there in 2016, when he gets in there, he's just going to, he'll cause World War III. And, but in 2013, under Obama, remember that he was trying to figure out how to deal with the Koreans. 2014, Ebola was again. Remember, Obama actually flew live Ebola patients to America and brought them here to treat them. I thought that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You're you're bringing infected people. And you remember the nurse that got sick? 2014. 2015, ISIS is going to take over the world. 2016, Zika. Remember Zika virus? Z-I-K-A virus, going to kill us all. 2020, now we got coronavirus. I'm telling you, people, uh, you need to turn off your televisions. And I, I'm not just because I'm anti-television. I haven't had a television for decades. I'm telling you that the news media is not the news media 40 years ago. It is not the news media. And what you're seeing on the news media, it, it isn't just uh, their opinion is different or they're liberal in their their uh, their coverage. It's just a propaganda. It's an agenda of propaganda. And what they're saying is just not true. It's not factually true. And if you listen to all that uh, scaredy stuff all day, it's going to totally screw your life up. And if you just turn it off and go on about your and, and look for good sources of information and talk to medical people that really know what they're doing uh, and listen to and listen to alternative news sources and Internet uh experts that are phds and stuff uh you'll you'll find yourself getting grounded and you'll do a lot better off now i want to also i want to read you something by a lady named ann rand a y n rand r-a-n-d ann rand she wrote a book in 1957 called atlas shrugged it's a classic you should get a copy now i want you to listen to this this is a great quote And this is happening to us right now. She says, when you see that in order to produce, in other words, you make something or you serve somebody, fix somebody's car or, or you're serving food or you're producing, you actually produce something that somebody can consume and it betters somebody's life in society. Whether you go in and get a coffee somewhere, get some food, you get something repaired. The other day I had my friend Rhonda come over and fix my computer So she made my life happier fixing my computer. So there's people in society that actually produce something, right? When she says, Ann Rand says, when you see that in order to produce, you need to obtain permission from men who actually produce nothing. You know, most government people produce zero. In fact, if the world stopped, they wouldn't even, you wouldn't have any need for them because the only reason they have a job is they rule over us and control us. That's why Randy Mitchell is trying to get out from under the cosmetology license people because they don't do anything to help society except harass society. Anne Rand says, when you see that in order to produce, you need to obtain permission from men who produce nothing. That's what Randy Mitchell and uppercuts people are complaining about. She says, when you see the money, that money is flowing to those who deal, not in goods, but in favors. That's what's going on in our government. People are dealing in favors. They don't produce anything. They don't improve your life. They actually diminish the quality of your life. She says, when you see that money is flowing to those who deal, 
not in goods. They don't deal in goods, but in favors like Gavin Newsom buying a billion dollars in masks. And he's getting favors from China. He's he's doing favors for China. He's getting favors for China. He is not improving my life by doing that. In fact, he's making it less valuable, less less worthwhile. She says, when you see that men get richer by graft and by pull or influence, pull, then by work and your law and your laws don't protect you against them, but protect them against you. When you see corruption being rewarded and honesty becoming a self-sacrifice, you may know that your society is doomed. Listen, people, if you decide you're just going to coast here and be passive, consider your society doomed. Now, it's not going to take 100% of, of us or even 51%, right? There's a lot of people that don't want what American society has been for 200 years. They want communism. They want socialism. She says, when you see corruption being rewarded and honesty becoming a self-sacrifice, you may know that your society is doomed. Now, listen, people, she is describing, she was describing in 1957 what she saw as problems. We're over 50 years down the road now, over 60 years down the road, actually. And she, we got big problems. And unless we don't pulled together like that's why we're having this conference in mid-january unless we don't get energized and begin to labor to change the way business is done in our communities you think oh we're going to what i can what can i do about washington you can do something about your city council here where you live wherever you live you can do something about your supervisors you can vote people in that you know are honest hardworking. Uh, they, I don't care whether they're college graduates. I don't care whether they're attorneys, but honest, hardworking people of integrity and character. Those are the people we want to get back in office. And then people that know the Constitution begin to teach people about the Constitution. You ought to get uh, – I don't have all the the book that I've recommended to people. It's a wonderful book. It's, it's amazingly – a uh, uh, easy read and it's just dense with great information is the 5,000 year leap by uh, um, Cleo. Uh, oh, I can't remember the name. Cla- uh, Skousen, Cleo Skousen, S K O U S E N. You should read that book. Uh, but we need to, and, and Rand says, when you see that in order to produce, you need to obtain permission from men who don't do anything. They don't produce anything for you. When you see that money is flowing to those who deal not in goods, but in favors, when you see that men get richer by graft corruption, as she's saying, and by pull, then by work. And your laws don't protect you against them, but they protect them against you. When you see the corruption being rewarded and honesty becoming a self-sacrifice, you know that your society is doomed. Our society is hanging on the cliff of doom. Hanging on the cliff of doom. Now, it's interesting. I got a kick out of this. Somebody did this little meme, and uh, there was a picture of uh, the gal from... uh, Archie Bunkers, the the daughter. And uh, recently we had these politicians who gave, they were going to give a trillion dollars to foreign countries. I just thought these guys are out of their minds. They got this, this society shut down and they offered 
they thought, well, we'll just send a $600 stimulus check to every American. And so what they somebody did is they divided out 600 by 365 days in a year and came up with $1.64 a day. And they compared it to these hustles where if you'll give 35 cents a day or a dollar a day or $2 a day, you're going to save a kid in Africa or Ethiopia or Biafra or somewhere. And so it's Gloria. She's saying, if you just just dollar sixty four a day, just a dollar for just a dollar sixty four a day, you too can sponsor an American. Isn't it odd to you that people that literally have ended their lives because they took their business from them, that these politicians care not for that, don't care a bit. In fact, our local politicians don't. Right, assemblymen. On down, supervisors, city council, not a bit. You say, well, I, th- I think they really care. Do they care? Action is where it's at. T- d- talk doesn't do anything on this stuff for me. What are they doing? Are they opening up the counties? No, I begged them to open up the counties. They don't do it. No, no, no. What? You know, it's all about it's all about getting their favors. Pay off. That's what they're getting. For just $1.64 a day, you too can sponsor an American. They, people are being treated like slaves in this country. That's what that's all. Even 2000, 2000 is nothing. In fact, most friends of mine don't even want the 2000. They just want to be left alone and go back to work. Just leave our businesses alone to keep your damn 2000. And the interesting thing is the way they rephrase the 2000, they phrase, refer to the 2000. It's as if it's their money. It's your money. It's our money. It's my money. That $2,000, they're just giving your money back to you. And they refer to it like they're fighting over as if they are donating money to you and they're having a parental argument like, oh, well, I don't think I don't think they deserve that much. I don't think they ought to get that much. And it it isn't their money to give away anyway. It's incredible. We'll be right back. Uh, we got uh, two more segments. Let's see. We got two more segments to go. Yes. yes that's right. Right. Be right back. I don't mind you coming here. What do you mean, like a miracle? I'm telling you, it was a miracle. Oh, come on, Archie. It was luck. There's no such thing as miracles. Ah, what the hell do you know? <laughs> to millions and billions of people who read the Bible, there are plenty of miracles. Miracles run all through the Bible there. What about your story of Noah and the whale there? What about Samson? He takes a jawbone out of the grass and he kills the whole army of the Philippines. <laughs> Hi there, obedient person. This year for the holidays, you'll get to enjoy some special restrictions to help you replace the Christmas spirit with the spirit of communism. It's beginning to look a lot like communism everywhere you go. This Christmas, it's not that you can't enjoy your family, it's just that you get to enjoy your family in different ways. The ways that we tell you you can enjoy your own family. I'm not coming home this year, Mom. I've been ordered to stay at home. I probably won't see you before you die. Merry Christmas. That felt good. It's enjoyable to do my part. Your year of dedicated obedience to tyrannical governors is helping replace the normal joy of the holiday spirit with the increased joy of lockdown-related blessings, like increased depression, suicides, 
child abuse, domestic abuse, overdoses, unemployment, bankruptcies, and starvation. You should be proud of your obedience because it helped you contribute to these things. Warms my heart. Furthermore, this year the holidays are just going to be different. Instead of getting together with your friends and family in person and risking the transmission of joy, love, and connection, you are to practice socialism distancing. Tis the season to have unconstitutional authoritarian rules dictate what you can do. Would you like to be told you can't leave your own home? Told what you can and cannot do in your own home? And told that you can't celebrate Christmas? Well, this year, you are being told these things. And you can do all your holiday shopping nationally with Amazon, as all local businesses have been exterminated. But in reality, you probably don't have any more money left to tithe to Amazon, as we've helped you achieve poverty slash social equality. So instead of exchanging gifts, exchange glances of hunger pains with your loved ones, because you don't have money to buy food either. Ooh, looks like you'll need more government because of what the government did to you so you can have some government handouts. Be sure to keep voting communism slash blue in the next election so we can continue protecting you from what we're doing to you. In exchange for your vote, we'll let you think your vote counts. Hey kids, you're in luck because the world's most trusted doctor has personally given Santa the shot. So if you don't get any presents, it's either because Santa's having an adverse reaction or it's because your parents were obedient enough to protect your family from income this year. Just look at this lovely holiday photo of my family and I enjoying the communism holiday. Put a mask on that kid now. Now that's better than how it used to be, isn't it? AOC's making a blacklist and she's checking it twice. Wouldn't it be a grand holiday treat if she can get all Trump supporters thrown in prison slash concentration camps? That way our democracy would be completely protected from freedom. For a number of years now, we've made it socially illegal for you to say Merry Christmas. We've exchanged it with Happy Holidays and you went with it. Thank you for helping our efforts to erase religion because you can't have communism with freedom of religion. <laughs> we wouldn't want people following the Lord's guidance over our guidance. Oh yeah, and all churches are closed for the foreseeable future. I love a good coincidence. And then the three wise men greeted baby Jesus. Ah, I don't think we need to hear any more about that guy. But would you like to hear more about how your government is great? and protects you? Well, they've scared you, so you're scared, and now they're protecting you from what they told you to be scared of. And that makes them great and trustworthy. And it's communism. Wait, communism? But I thought all these restrictions were about a virus. Sure they are. This year, don't leave your home, don't gather, wear a mask, and there will be no dancing and no singing because it's not safe. However, what is allowed is fear, obedience, isolation, poverty, and therefore a growing dependency on your government. Because that all seems safe. And it would also be great if you could pretend that this year's restrictions are just going to be for this year. Because, <laughs> of course, we'll be glad to hand you your freedoms back after we've taken them. So for the holidays, please keep being obedient and handing us your freedoms. You're doing a great job of doing your part. As your supreme leaders, we wish you a very merry communist Christmas.
right, I saw this. Uh, someone sent this to me today. Uh, hilarious. And we've heard all these. Uh, the, the whole uh, the P the PCR test. Will they run that snake down your nose? That thing is a total fraud. It's just, you know, to me, it's it's so sad that these people are acting. They are actors. You know, actor is portraying they are somebody else that's acting as if they're somebody else. Like so you see an actor that's that's a portraying or, or a uh, a guy that uh, works in the acting industry. He takes a job uh, in a movie to portray uh, a captain on a, a pilot of an airplane, but he didn't know anything about flying an airplane or he's a becomes uh, he, the, his part in the play or the movie is he's a surgeon, but he, you wouldn't definitely wouldn't want him to cut you open. So uh, this whole fraud thing of the PCR test is, is so disappointing because you have people that really for years we honored in our, in our country, we, we gave great honor and respect to medical doctors because they stayed, they serve humanity. Sure, certainly they get paid good, but, but they stayed and in, in studied while all of us went and did something else. And they studied and they were very smart. They're, they're scientists. They, they studied extra. They went to four-year college and they went to another four years and the surgeons went to another two or four years. And so, uh, and they saved people's lives. It's awesome, right? But to see that the medical community defraud the American people is the most sad thing. And and then because of political connections, they have got people fired or shut them down through mainstream media and through social media that they can't even put videos telling their side. We we no longer are a community where we can argue both sides of the issue and let it all be out there for everybody to sort out by themselves. Now we not only don't want critical thinking in communist countries, they don't want critical thinkers or people that can sort through issues. They want indoctrination. And so they just want one side of the story presented. And if you have another side to the story, in fact, the journalists that first broke the story in China, the Chinese journalist just got put in prison for four years, got sentenced for, she'd been locked up when she first broke the story and said, this is bad news. They, the Chinese have been, in other words, she's Chinese and she's a journalist in China. She broke the story and got it out on the internet and they, she, they're locking her up for four years and been torturing her. And, uh, so anyway, this whole thing over here is now we're becoming a society that is not free. We don't have free speech. We don't have freedom of ideas. We can't debate in the marketplace. So this was uh, great. She, this home, there's a home COVID test. It says, number one, this is how you do it. You open a can of beer and try to smell it. Like one of my friends said, she thought she had COVID because one of the symptoms is you lose your smell, right? So this person said, open a can of beer and try to smell it. If you can, sm if you can smell the beer, drink it to see if you can taste it because you lose your taste at COVID supposedly and lose your smell. I haven't had COVID, so I'm just reading what people tell me or read what people tell others. So it says, if you can smell it, see if you can taste it. Number three, if you can taste it and smell it, that confirms you don't have COVID. So then the person said, uh, last night, I, I uh, took the test 19 times and all, all came up negative. Tonight, I'm going to do the test again because this morning I woke up with a really bad headache and feeling like I'm coming down with something. I'm really getting nervous. I might have COVID. That's how stupid that, that thing. Oh, that's ridiculous. That's funny, Lou. Actually, that's how stupid the whole thing is. 
It's totally a contrived, corrupt. This Dr. Liu is as corrupt as a communist dictator. She just as corrupt as can be. That gal, uh, I would not have her as a personal doctor if she ever became a personal doctor, family doctor. She would lie to you. She tells people that that masks are saving their life, that standing on X's on the floor six feet from another person is going to keep COVID off your body. That is the most insane, deceptive, fraudulent, and criminal thing you could tell people. And everybody that agrees with her, whether they're a supervisor or a surgeon at the hospital, is totally nuts. You're a part of the problem. So uh, I want to, before we get totally the end, I want to jump back up here and just uh, give a shout out to uh, some of the people keeping us going here on this podcast and uh, that's Monty Hecker with, I mentioned him earlier with the Recall California effort. He's been a big part of that, coordinating things. He's, he's a guy is a, a hardworking guy fighting for uh, the Constitution and for freedom and standing up for causes. He's, he stands up for the right causes and then doesn't talk about it or give an opinion. He gets involved. So if you want to get involved in it, you need a job. He's, they're looking for workers in Northern California, and you can call them at 530-749-0280. You can go on their website at api-academy.com, and you can check out their schooling. And they will hire you. If you're 18, they will they will start training you for, to be a guard. Or if you're – maybe you retired. I, I ran into a friend at the courthouse, and he was working for Monty. Hecker at Elite Universal, and uh, I ran into him. I hadn't seen him in decades, and he retired from the job he had, and he thought, Lou, I, I said, hey, how come you do this? He said, I was so bored. I was retired, and so I, I thought, I'm going to take a part-time job. And so he's, he's working for Elite Universal Security. So you could, if you're older, uh, no problem. That works. Uh, you can get a job with them. If you, if you need a concealed weapon permit, they can help you get that. Uh, they have other classes out at their operation in Yuba County, but they are uh, working all over the North State, all the way up to the Oregon border. So check it out and uh, get yourself some work. And uh, some of you may be interested in law enforcement. I'll give you a little taste of some of the classes you might take, and your training could apply to going to the police academy next, whether you go to a local, you know, one up here in California or wherever you're going to move to. Uh, since a lot of people are moving around. The other people, uh, it's Greenest Construction, green with ETZ on the end, Greenest Construction. Uh, Instead of me saying a lot about it, uh, I know these guys, and they do work for me. Uh, I've never had them do a full kitchen remodel, but if I ever wanted one or a bathroom, you know, the type of deal they do, unbelievable. you just need to go on their greenitzconstruction.com website or the Facebook site at Dave Greenitz Construction and check out the before and after. That will sell you. If that doesn't sell you, just grab somebody uh, off the Internet, take your chances. You're not going to take any chances with Greenitz Construction because they're going to do it. They're going to do it right. They're going to do it on time. And they're uh, they're going to wow you is what they're going to do. So you could call them if you're old school. You want to talk to them. You could call them. Uh, you can email them off the sites. Uh, you can look up those uh, sites, and, and if you decide you want to ask some questions, you can uh, through technology, or you can just dial them up at 530-682-9602. Once again, 530-682-9602. Uh, 
they do the nicest jobs in town. They've been around for, I don't know, four, over 40 years. They have a lot of repeat customers, and uh, they're really not hurting for work. But if you want to get in on it, I think they could probably, within 30 days or so, take a look at your project, begin by taking a look at it, and then make some plans for the future. And the, finally, the plumbing doctor. Uh, Ted Holmes, a plumbing doctor, and, and uh, everybody understands what plumbing's about. I'm always dealing with plumbing around here. I got an old house and stuff needs repaired and uh, keeping things moving in the right direction and flowing. And uh, so they help me, 530-671-9111. They have a number of trucks in the area, Yuba Sutter counties, and they can get to you 24 hours a day, any day of the week if you need it. Five three zero six seven one nine one one one. All right, so let me get back on track here. Now, this is incredible. These, I'm just going to talk about this. What they call the COVID bill, I call it the COVID relief bill. Right. So they name they name these bills, and they do this at every level of government. They mislabel uh, these bills because then the unsuspecting public or the undeserving discerning public they don't we don't look below the covers and we don't read the small print we just think oh covid relief yeah we need we you guys should we need some relief dude you've ripped us off but what it is is uh what these congressmen and senators do is they add along what add into these bills are what they call pork projects it's just insulting. I, I mean, I think more than any other time in the past, people are just totally insulted by we're giving money. The one that really seems to broke people's nose is giving millions and millions of dollars to pack Pakistan for gender studies. It's just like, say what? Sudan gets a 700 million. Most people, most Americans can't even find these, these uh, folks on the map. Fisheries are getting three hundred million. Israel gets three billion. Uh, Egypt one point three billion. Burma one point one one hundred thirty five million. Movie theaters and event venues we can't even use them. Are getting fifteen billion. The Kennedy Center is getting another forty million. They don't even function anymore. You know, the last time they did a COVID bill, they got twenty five or thirty million, and they laid everybody off and shut their doors. It's just it's just a complete I mean, if this doesn't show you uh, we have a total corrupt government, we're not talking about a couple bad apples. dude. We we got a totally. Uh, like the, Thomas Massey, congressman, said he tweeted out, I predict the day the day that our country's finances completely collapse, we will still be funding gender programs in Pakistan. He said. Tonight's COVID relief stimulus bill has no less than $10 million for said programs attached to it. Uh, it, you know, actually, I think he should have said 10 billion. I think it's, it's a misprint because it's a one, it's a $1.5 trillion. It's unbelievable. I want to, you to read something. Uh, uh, as famed, the, I mentioned Anne Rand to you. Another writer on the economy is Frederick Bastiat, B-A-S-T-I-A-T. A famed, this guy says, as famed French economist Frederick Bastiat 
said, once the masses are plundered, or said, sorry, often the masses are plundered and don't even know it. That's what's happening in America. He says, often the mass masses are plundered and do not know it. And this guy goes on to write, because of the way these bills are written with the names like COVID relief bill, we assume that they give relief, not add to the mounting national debt our children and grandchildren will have to assume. It is this principle that Bastiat was addressing. With every law passed, especially ones that are rushed through without time to read, there are a bundle of taxes added. Not only was Bastiat a super good communist, sorry, economist with super smart quotes. He wrote a book called The Law. As you know, uh, in fact, there I, I bought these a bunch of these books. They call them by the Tuttle Twins, or, or it's the Tuttle Twins, and they took a lot of these books called Bastiat wrote this book called The Law. They took it and they. You know how they take food for babies and they make baby food, right? So babies can digest it easier and eat it easier. So what they've done is taken a lot of these very uh, chewy principles that are important to our existence as humans, and they've made it into uh, books for young people. And a guy named Connor Boyack, B-O-Y-A-C-K, has done this. He's a bright guy, and he's actually written it for elementary school and high school kids and say so they created those for uh for that age groups and i bought a whole stack of them this uh this for christmas and i'm going to buy some more for new year's and give them out to families with young kids because you can train them at home we don't need schools don't even need schools so bastiat his, his other quote is everyone wants to live at the expense of the state but they forget that the state wants to live at the expense of everyone else Man, if you get if you don't get anything else today, get this. Everyone wants to live at the expense of the state. I don't want to do that, frankly, but I know a lot of people that do. They forget that the state wants to live at the expense of everyone else. All right, all right, all right. Uh, okay, let me. Since we're let's see, one, two, three, four, five. Okay, we're. I'm just having to be more discerning about what we're doing here oh i want to talk about this uh where are we here come on now well okay i was going to talk about masks and i can't find the doggone oh here we go it must be on father Well, this is an article here. You remember the, oh, here we go. You remember about a year or two ago, some kid, uh, young kid, and sometimes kids come up with these novel ideas that, that uh, have, have world impact. And so this kid came up with the idea of like, why are we allowing people to have plastic straws? Because plastic straws could get in the nose of a creature out in the ocean. And that's repugnant. So let's stop plastic straws from being used by human beings. But plastic straws really have some uh, real important uses. And uh, if they're properly disposed of, not thrown in the ocean, not all garbage ends up in the ocean. 
But this guy said all these straws, and, and he came up with this figure. This young kid, like, he doesn't even, I don't, he probably didn't even know how straws made. But the young kid and the media caught on to it and just rode this thing into legislation in California. But he came up and said that every day 500,000 straws are used in the United States. He just, he just, they just threw a number out there, right? And he made a big deal about the straws. Well, then when COVID happened, straws they didn't in plastic bags is another one all of a sudden they thought well we don't want to reuse people reusing like all of a sudden the coffee places said we don't want to reuse your cup don't hand us your cup out of your car because you're going to give us covid or don't bring your old sacks that we use over and hundreds of times and got germs in it don't bring them in well now they're saying all these masks do you ever think about what's happening to all these billions of masks that normally we didn't have to wear a mask? Our immune, we trusted our immune system. We just ate good, tried to stay in good health, tried to not to be stressed. And so now the government is forcing us. It doesn't force me, but he's forcing a lot of other people from little babies all the way up to wear these masks. Well, what do you think is going to happen to them? All of a sudden we're, instead of using masks just for and people that are hospitalized, right? Working nurses and doctors and stuff like that under certain situations they wear a mask now we have over 1 billion of the 52 billion masks produced in 2020 we produce 52 billion masks right in 2020 and they think 1 billion of those are going to end up in the ocean and there's a picture of a guy here a fisherman type guy with armloads of funky masks they dredged out, drug out of the water. Oceans Asia, which is the name of a environmental organization, said that masks will both contaminate oceans with plastic and, he- and harm already vulnerable, uh, damaging marine life. Says single-use face masks, right? They're single-use because he said, don't touch them. You put them on, don't touch them. Don't touch your face. Don't, remember all that? Don't touch them. Don't move them. People, you know, anyway baloney single-use face masks are made from a variety of melt melted down plastics this is what you're breathing through and are difficult to recycle due to both composition and risk of contamination and infection so in other words those funky masks it's like it's like washing your underwear at some point they got all kinds of funk in those masks you got all kinds of germs in your mouth you're blowing it out sucking it in blowing it out sucking it in right and touching them after you use the bathroom. I mean, it, it just, you know, it's gnarly. Ocean Asia's report states that these masks enter our oceans when they are littered or otherwise improperly discarded. You've been around town seeing masks on the ground? I see them all the time. Uh, when waste management systems are inadequate or non-existent or when these systems become overwhelmed due to increased volume of waste. Now, I want you to think not about the United States when we're talking about masks. We do an amazing job with the waste in the United States. Where it gets gnarly is in China and in Asia. And if anybody's traveled in those countries, the Philippines, all through Southeast Asia, there's plastic bags, there's crap floating down the water, there's waterways, you can't even see the water. There's so much garbage on top of that water. A report estimates nearly 7,000 tons of plastic could pollute the ocean and may take roughly 450 years to break down. I don't even know whether I believe all those statistics, but the fact is, if you've seen these funky masks and you've seen them laying around and people have driven over them, walked on them, 
they end up floating into the the uh, drainage and going out to the. Uh, in fact, we used to have our trauma intervention meetings out at Yuba City water treatment plant i would love to talk to the water treatment boys out there in fact i may call one up i got a cell number and say tell me about mass showing up at your water treatment plant what are you doing with them because all that stuff ends up being sent out to the feather river the water does and what are you going to do with all the sludge right where's that go so uh we got one more segment to go and uh we'll be we'll be right back and get after it just a minute I'm Charles Daniels. For years, we've been taking you to villages like this and showing you the heartbreak of families whose only mistake was being born poor. They need your help. And for only 39 cents a day, you can provide water, food, and medicine for these people. Just 39 cents. That's less than a small cup of coffee, but it can make all the difference in the world to the people of this village. Ask for more. Sorry? Ask for more money. Why are you starting so low? As you can see, these villagers are desperate for your help. So don't hesitate. Pick up the phone. Yo, what they shooting? Commercial song. A word? Dial the number and send over 39 cents. That's all we need. Start higher! I know, right? 39 cents may not sound like a lot, but it can mean so much to these families. It's not even a round number. Like, if he said a dollar, I could see how he got this. Yeah, but you know they always trying to take away a penny to make it sound like less. I get that. I'm just saying, why not start at 99 cents? 39 cents. That's all these people need to survive. And they'd be so, so lucky and appreciative to get it. So for the price of a cup of coffee... Who did? talk about all they need to send is the bare minimum to keep us alive. We're not asking for the bare minimum. This number has been decided by very educated and caring people who can save your lives. Hey. How? How you gonna save our lives with only 39 cents? Because I'm trying to do the math in my head, but I just can't see it. 39 cents is plenty. He keeps saying 39 cents. Why he keep saying 39 cents? For the price of a cup of coffee. Why it can't be the price of an Arizona iced tea? They 99 cents. Because it's not the price of an Arizona. It's got to be coffee. It don't, though. Plus, coffee is way more expensive than 39 cents. It's 39 cents. You know, for a starving village, you people have a lot of energy. Maybe people should send their checks someplace else. Oh, so you asking for a check? Then why would you ask for a check? You settle for a check. It's got to be a check, okay? It don't, though. Here's your coffee and your change, Mr. Daniels. Perfect timing, Valerie. Hey, I white love lady. It. Hey, how much is that coffee? It doesn't matter. I bet you don't even know what country you in. I do know what country I'm in. What, 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 what country you in? What country you in? Africa. Oh, All right, look. This look, look. Oh, no. If you want to see this cheap-ass white man again, you better send us $200 cash right now. Don't hesitate. Do you consider yourself a conservative? I am a conservative, yes. Okay. Are you pro-life? I am pro-life. Okay. Does that trigger people when you see them, that they know that you're pro-life? It makes them very upset, and okay. Democrats hate me. Uh, do you own a gun? 
Pardon? Do you own a gun? No, sir. When next time you come to Colorado, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll take you shooting. Are, are you a Christian? Yes, I am. Uh, are you proud of your family? I'm very proud of my family. Okay. Um, let me ask you something. Do you hate Americans with black skin color? Uh, absolutely not. I actually love Americans with black skin color so much that I'm willing to fall on the sword a thousand times for them to wake up and realize that we are being lied to, abused, and used by the Democrat Party. How about Americans with white skin color? Do you hate them? I do not, and that's a problem for people on the left. Do you hate uh, Hispanics? I do not. Do you hate uh, uh, Asians? I do not. Um, do you hate lesbians or gays or anybody from the LGBTQ community? Nope, I've got all of that in my family. <laughs> I'm baffled because in the chairman's opening statement, he said that you openly associate with purveyors of hate. Yes, um, purveyors of hate, by his definition, is anybody that supports the president. I support the president because he's done a tremendous job in helping the black community, despite all of the rhetoric from the media and leftists, so, which do so, not want him to be successful. Tell me a little bit about how the president has helped the black community, if you would, please. Well, he's lowered the black unemployment rate. It's the lowest it's ever been in the history. Uh, he's getting us off of our feet. We see, uh, I believe the last number I checked was 3.5 million people are off of food stamps, something <coughs> that the black caucus sat down and didn't applaud. Neither did any of the Democrats applaud, uh, because they want a system where blacks are dependent on the government. Uh, uh, they, they are the people that put in place the policies that broke down the black family. And the biggest problem that's facing our community is father absence. Um, in every room that I've been in with the president, he talks about real issues. And he doesn't pander to us. He doesn't do Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's southern drawl accent and speaking to us like we're slaves. He asks us important questions. And the most important question he could have asked was, black America, what do you have to lose? Because we were already losing under Democrat leadership. Do you, do you believe that you openly associate with purveyors of hate? I absolutely do not. I have, I have no tolerance for hate whatsoever. Do you believe that college campuses should be open uh, discussions, uh, or there should be open discussions on college campuses for various issues? I absolutely do. You know, I do a campus tour tonight. I'm flying up to University of Connecticut to continue that, and we are being met with uh, aggressive <coughs> leftist groups. Uh, three Antifa chapters have declared they're going to try to shut it down, and uh, we face this violence every day on the left, and nobody ever wants to talk about it. And I, I guess what I was going to ask you, um, you, you went on to explain it before I got a chance to, but have you ever been disinvited from uh, uh, speech opportunities at college campuses because of your conservative views? All the time. Um, Is that a form of hatred, do you think? Of course it is, and we're not talking enough about political hatred in this country. We're not talking enough about conservative activists being attacked, like myself. Uh, we had a student whose dorm was set on fire uh, for being a member of the Turning Point chapter, and all we preach is for free markets and capitalism as, as a means to lift the most people out of poverty. That is my belief, and of course, my main thesis is that black people do not have to be Democrats, and we are not owned by the left, and I understand that that causes some people trouble. So. As a conservative, you've attended many conservative events and, and uh, visited with many conservatives. Um, and I, I am not denying for a moment that there are white supremacists and we should condemn white supremacists, that there are Nazis and we should condemn Nazis, uh, that there are hateful groups all across the political spectrum and we should condemn those. But in your uh, interactions with conservatives, have you seen hateful speech, uh, bigotry, race among the conservatives that you've associated with? Um, I, I speak in front of conservatives probably three times a week. I jump on a stage and I say everything pro-black. Um, and they are so supportive and they applaud. All they want is for black Americans to realize that they are Americans first and foremost. Conservatives are patriots. The president is a patriot and I'm a patriot. And there is no skin color in patriotism. Thank God we have you. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you. Goodbye, my sweetheart.
fighting that will break us up again. Goodbye. All righty, so I, I found this, uh, this you know, different things just get sent through my feed through different social media and stuff. And uh, I, th- I thought, uh, you know, my dad uh, ran a, a butcher, butcher, he was a butcher, meat cutter for his whole career. And uh, he, he, wanted, he had to quit college to take care of my grandmother when my grandpa died before I was born. And so he had to just take a job. Back in the day, they didn't have enough money to take care of people. So he, he was one of the brothers in this area so he took care of grandma and so he gave up his uh, college uh hopes and just went took a job right and just stayed with that job and so uh so and and i used to work in his shop uh, when i was in high school and uh, did interesting stuff but mundane they uh, the stuff that they didn't need to do uh, i could do and uh, so i got to watch him interact with the public and uh, it was very interesting because when you're serving, everybody likes to eat, right? So drug addicts, the attorneys, everybody in town likes to eat of all different persuasion and flavors come through. And I got to watch how the the folks that were employed there, including my father, how he treated them. And uh, and so he was well-liked and treated all kinds of folks. And, and so there were people from the black black community, the Asian community, the all the community, Hispanic, everybody. So uh, when I saw this, it reminded me uh, of him because in my, in my house, uh, race or ethnicity or discrimination was never a, uh, an, a topic of, uh, you know, it's just like, hey, people are people. You treat everybody. You love people, take care of people, help people, serve people. Everybody, you just, you know, what they are, it's like they're a human being, right? And it wasn't until my brother, I have a, a stepbrother or half-brother, and it wasn't until uh, he left home and went to Florida to uh, kind of strut his stuff, and he had learned how to professionally paint buildings and uh commercial painter. He went down to Florida and just to check it out and, like, had the wandering spirit and got down there, and, and he— so he, he got down there where there had been uh, slavery in Florida in the southern states. And and his stories coming back were they were fascinating to us because we never heard such a thing as drinking fountains for one one type of person and drinking fountains for another type of person or bathrooms for one type of person, bathrooms for another type of person other than different g- genders. Right. So it was just fascinating. But when I when I read this, I thought, oh, this is interesting. It says, personally, this guy writes, with all this talk of racism, like racism's worse today than it was in the 19, 19, early 1900s, right? Which is nonsense. This BLM stuff and Antifa stuff is just total crock of crap. It's it's just all an agenda to th- overthrow the country. So, uh, you know, in the if the people... If the people did, if all the Antifa and the if the people were really sincerely believing this, if they all did what Eldridge Cleaver did, he was a sergeant in arms, I believe, of the or one of the leaders of the Black Panthers. I can't remember what his rank was, but he and his wife decided, "I'm done. 
we're done with America. We're leaving America. We're done. And uh, we, we were interested in communism. So I, he traveled in communist countries. He went to Cuba, and I don't know whether he went to Russia or not. But he ended up down in Africa, uh, the nation of, or the continent of Africa, and I think he ended up like in Angola or something like that, and they were having a communist revolution over there. And after a number of years away from the United States, he came back to the United States. He had fled the United States as a uh, criminal. He had charges, and he fled. And uh, so he came back, turned himself in, did his time, and uh, and ended up getting converted to following Jesus and totally changed his life and just thought. So, uh, you know, the fact is all these people want us to become like Cuba, but they don't want to go down there and live there. So this, this uh, write-up says, personally, says, I've never cared what color you are until you started blaming my race, I'd say ethnicity, for your problems. I never cared about your political affiliations until you started condemning me for mine. I never cared where you were born until you wanted to erase my history and blame my concerns or my uh, Sorry, I I moved my computer. Erase my history and blame my ancestors for all your current problems. I never cared if you were well off or poor until you said you were discriminated against when I got promoted because I worked harder than you. I never cared if your beliefs were different from mine until you said my beliefs were wrong. Now I care. Now my patience and my tolerance are gone. I'm not alone in feeling this way. There are millions of us who also do, and we've had enough. I think there's a lot of people like that. Let me just share this with you, uh, because we have all kinds of people like this in our lives, people that uh, there's people in my life that I don't even bother taking the time to discuss COVID with because they're under the spell. They think it's the Black Plague. And there's no use talking to them. And they are uh, clueless about a number of things. But I don't even try to convince them because there's a saying, a person convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Thomas Paine, who was a high-profile character during the colonial days, said, to argue with a person who has renounced the use of reason is like administering medicine to a dead person. Or to the dead. Now, the one of the wonderful things about America is when we had freedom of thinking, which we don't have right now, freedom of thought, which you don't have in communist China or Vietnam or Laos. When you have freedom of speech and freedom of thinking, you have you can have some really rousing debate and let everybody decide for themselves what they what they believe is the truth, right? And uh, but when you can't have debate like in the classroom right now, then you are in a position where uh, it's what they call totalitarian or authoritarianism. He says to argue with a person who has renounced the use of reason is like administering medicine to the dead. No use doing it. Just skip it. Now, I, we got a few minutes left and I, I've just re- realized that I wanted to talk about this what one of the things at this conference that's coming up we're going to have is a talk about education and some alternatives to education because the school system's shut down right but that's that's actually a blessing because 
the school system is is totally corrupted. Hold on here. I, I got to get back up to find my. OK, here we go. Thank you, Jesus. So the, the school system is so polluted. I'm more concerned about your child running their brain than dying of covid by a long shot. So in in Clark County, Nevada, that's where Las Vegas is. High school student sues the, the the government over leftist indoctrination. Now this is pretty cool story. You can look at look it up. High school senior, he's mixed race. His uh, his mom is black. Uh, his deceased father was white. So he was attending a charter school in in uh, Clark County, Nevada. Again, that's where Las Vegas is. Over coercive ideological indoctrination. That's what he's suing school over. And the 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 group that's helping him is a group called Schoolhouse SchoolhouseRights.org. SchoolhouseRights.org. And so uh, the issue is uh, about critical race theory based curriculum that forces students to associate aspects of their identity with oppression. In other words, they convince them that they're oppressed and they, they get into the, them. Uh, anyway, I'll tell you in the lawsuit, uh, on December 22nd in federal court in Nevada, the young plaintiff, William Clark and his mother, Gabriel Clark claimed the first and 14th amendments were violated Students were allegedly told that by refusing to identify with an oppressive group, they were exercising their privilege or underscoring their role as an oppressor of the other children. The lawsuit was filed by the Illinois-based group Schoolhouse Rights, whose website describes its mission as supporting civil rights litigation in defense of students' freedom of conscience in public education and the rights of parents to guide and direct the upbringing of their children. Now, my my admonition, I'm going to tell you what he did. It's not over yet, but what he did, he's fighting to straighten out the public school system uh, because they took advantage of him. I'm telling you to get out of the public system. I was I was a school board member for 12 years, and there's no way you're going to see a reform of in your lifetime. If you're an adult, you're not going to reform the public school system other than getting out and starting a new system. Now, the student... Uh, it was called the, the charter school was called democracy prep in Las Vegas. And, uh, so the class, uh, there was a year long class called sociology and change and you of change. And, and it was required. You could not graduate without taking this class. And there's another required class called change the world in which students carry out a political or social work project. So because of the so-called civics curriculum, implemented by the new school management it carried the same name of a previous curriculum uh miss clark was not aware of the turn towards co- radicalism coercive ideological indoctrination until they began seeing the detrimental effects upon the kids the new curriculum inserted consciousness raising and conditioning exercises under the banner of intersectionality and critical race theory these sessions are not descriptive or informational in nature, but normative and prescriptive. In other words, they're forcing kids to change their views. They're just not telling them stuff. They're manipulating them. They require pupils to unlearn and fight back against oppressive structures alleged 
uh, as implicit in the family arrangements. In other words, how you were brought up. They want to know what your family arrangements are, what your religious beliefs are and your practices, your racial uh, mix, your sexuality. Who are you? Even though you may look like a guy, do you think you're a lady? Or do you think you're half and half or one of the many other gender identities? All of which are required. You've got to divulge that in the class and then you're subject to non-private interrogation in the class. Uh, so William Clark, the boy, the senior, was directed uh, in class to unlearn the basic Judeo-Christian principles his mother taught him. And then the school retaliated against him. Some racial, sexual, gender, and religious identities once revealed, uh, the complaint says, are officially singled out in the programming as inherently problematic and assigned pejorative moral attributes by defendants. So Clark was required for assignments, uh, the, the complaint says, to reveal his racial, sexual, gender, sexual orientation, his disabilities, and religious identities and uh, and then his teacher would greet the students by saying, hello, my wonderful social justice warriors. Clark was told the next step would be to determine if parts of his identity, quote, have privilege or oppression attached to them. Privilege was defined as the inherent belief in the inferiority of the oppressed group. I'm telling you, people. You better figure out what you're doing with these schools. The schools are not teaching you the righteous beginning of the Americas. They they basically teach that everything about the founding of this country was unjust. It was uh, racist. It was uh, sexist. It was misogynist. It was all the ists, all the isms and all the ists. The legal argument, it says here, uh, that the Clarks make is is that William is being compelled. This is what's going on. It's called communist indoctrination, people. It is not debate. It is not examination. It is not exposure to. It's not like it's the difference between back in the day when they took a wooden uh, a penis and showed kids in the Gridley school system to put a, how to put a condom on it, right? In this case, they're encouraging people to have sex, premarital sex, right? That's the difference. They're, in, they're, in, they're being compelled to make professions about his racial, sexual, gender, and religious identities in, in verbal class exercises, and then they're graded on it, uh, graded, and they get written homework assignments, which are subject to the scrutiny, interrogation, and derogatory labeling of students, teachers, and school administrators. The defendants are coerced coercing him to accept and affirm politicized and discriminatory principles and statements that he cannot uh, consciously and uh, with good conscience affirm. They repeatedly threatened him with material harm, including failing grades and non-graduation if he failed to comply with the requirements. Now, uh, the lawsuit comes after Donald Trump, uh, he issued Executive Order 13950 on September 22nd, prohibiting the military, federal agencies, federal contractors from promoting divisive concepts that are part of the critical race theory in workplace trainings. The theory is the basis for an intellectual movement who is adherence retired. Uh, anyway, I, I'm on a, I, we're short on time. I'm going to have to skip that. So 
In other words, Trump is is working his way. If he gets another four years, is going to work his way to say in school systems that are getting federal money, you can't do this. So already an Obama judge, U.S. Judge Beth Labson Freeman, these women, no, the women nowadays can't accept one name. They they can't they get confused on who they really are. Am I from the previous before I got married or, or am I half and half or what? Labson Freeman said uh, she's from San Jose, California, U.S. District Judge in San Jose, California. She entered, issued a preliminary nationwide injunction against President Trump's uh, executive order, 13950, according to USA Today. She agreed with an LGBT diversity training organization that argued that the order violated its free speech rights. Plaintiffs have demonstrated a likelihood of success in proving violations of their constitutional rights. What I said all that to say this, your kids are in the second grade for just a few months. Then they go to the third grade, fourth grade. Are you going to like fight a battle over with the LGBT people? That's going to take years to win when the president of the United States can't pull it off. When Donald Trump cannot pull off what he wants to without all these nutcases, you think you're going to, like, protect your kids when you don't go down there and sit with them in the classroom? One of the things that scared the hell out of teachers is the fact that now you can sit by your computer on a Zoom class and listen to the nutcase teachers talk all the trash to the kids. I'm telling you, they are freaked out. And even college professors who manipulate and uh, propagandize young uh, teenagers coming into college that don't know their butt from a hole in the ground. And they are just novices. They are completely naive. And these teachers snow them. I've been through that. I dropped out of college, but I've been, I've set through that experience in college. And these teachers who are in their late twenties, early thirties or older, and they're strutting all their radical stuff. And they just, they just steamroll these students, steamroll them and uh, teach them a bunch of crap. So uh, I'm telling you, there are alternatives, and uh, I think they're going to talk about that in this conference coming up, and there's a group of parents that have organized a little consortium called Arrow Education, A-R-R-O-W, Education, to help parents, equip, equip parents to help them teach their own children and to work together for ex- an excellent education. It's not a school. They want you to homeschool because then you're going to be out from under the control of the government. If you start a private school, then the government's going to come in and try to ru- run that. But homeschools, you have more liberty. So um, anyway, that's that. I thought it was an interesting case. I wish them well. They may have a positive impact on their school. But I'm telling you, my experience with parents that are trying to get a r- remedy through the public school system, even when their kids slow to read or they have a, a dyslexic problem or they have I, I just I, or autistic problem, they're not getting any satisfaction in the public schools right now. They're closed. And and by the time you get your kid, the kid, if your kid is behind in reading to get tutors, to get this, to get that a whole year, I've seen friends of mine that are parents a whole year will go by and their kid just languishes. Because the, the school system just doesn't, if they were private and they were getting paid, 
to perform or they would lose their money by God, they would, they would kick rear to perform at, but they're, they aren't judged on outcome. It doesn't matter if they all get F's, they get the same amount of money. Nowhere in the private enterprise in the private industry. If you don't perform, you don't get paid. You'll get lawsuit. If you don't perform, you get fired in the public education. It does not matter the outcome. You're going to get paid whether those kids fail or or, or they have a lousy experience or not. I have begged, I have begged principals to fire teachers before, and they just say, Lou, it just, it, it will never happen. Uh, okay, we're done. Have a good 2021. Attend that conference coming up uh, here in mid-January, and you won't regret it. And we're going to, listen, if you think that masks, I told, uh, I told this, uh, gal that runs uncle bank i said honey it ain't about the mask i said first of all i'm not going to come in your bank with with uh with a mask on and i'm I'm not going to make an appointment i'm I'm, i can find banks a lot easier to deal with than you but i said you're never going to get out from behind that mask so just think about that for a minute but you know here's the deal they got all these big these uh, social agenda people the globalists they got us over, over a barrel because they know that the average person needs to support their family and a lot of them don't have the luxury to just blow off the mask and go get another job because they don't know where they can get another job. And they got to make payments. They got to pay, you know, they, they're under the, they're on, on the squirrel cage of life because a lot of them are in debt. They got to make payments and they're going to get thrown out of their house. They get, you know, et cetera. So uh, anyway, that's it for today. And we'll catch you uh, next week. And uh, God bless you and hope you have a good week after this, uh, the first week of the year. Okay, bye. We're so glad to see so many of you lovely people here tonight. We would especially like to welcome all the representatives of Illinois' law enforcement community who have chosen to join us here in the Palace Hotel Ballroom at this time. We certainly hope you all enjoy the show. And remember, people, that no matter who you are and what you do to live, thrive, and survive, there's still some things that make us all the same. You, me, them, everybody. Sugar to kiss. Sugar to kiss.